The Matrix is a movie that excites all of my excitables, <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Hello. And from Music Video Sins, Barrett Cher. Hello, howdy, hi. And today we're going to continue our March Madness. Let the games begin! This is madness. It's madness, I tell you, for the love of God! Battle Royale! The crowd is just on its feet here. He's a Cinderella boy. Uh. You're excited. Feel these nipples. Although it'll be April when this April comes out. April madness. <laughs> That's right. It'll be April it's madness. It's still madness, That's though. right. Ooh, madness. <laughs> if we get into, like, September yeah, yeah. madness. We've yeah. officially gone too far. <laughs> uh, we're going to complete the South region uh, today. And uh, we, we left off at the 6 and 11 where Jurassic Park laid waste to out of sight at the end of our last <laughs> Jurassic podcast. Park chomped out of sight. That's right. Uh, and so we're going to start off with the 7 and 10 in this. And these are two somewhat similar movies. Actually, mm-hmm. one could you could say is derived from the other. Uh, seven seed Annie Hall and the 10 seed When Harry Met Sally. Oh, balls. When Harry Met Sally won... 1989 as i recall yes yes after about (laughs) five rounds or something (laughs) a lot of algebra and it was actually like my vote that did it and i was like oh remorse but i do love the movie anyway annie hall uh 1977's best picture from woody allen Mm -hmm. beat star wars yes it did uh and it's a that's shocking to me even today when we think about 1977 and the phenomenon that Star Wars was, Annie Hall still by the Academy, still still skated by it. Was there ever a chance though that it was going to win Best Picture at the Academy though? Because as we talked about when we said talked about A New Hope, there's a lot of holes in that movie as a movie. Now the universe it spawned is terrific, but there is it's but, not perfect. And and there was precedent before because Jaws was one of the first. It was the first big summer blockbuster, and it didn't win Best Picture either. Mm. It just felt like the way things were going, like you know, that maybe the Academy would say, "All right, this is the new norm now," and this is. It's just weird when a movie this small beats a movie that big, mm. you know. Um. Anyway, Annie Hall. Is it the best Woody Allen? I don't. Uh, no! Not in my brain. I like Manhattan more than I like Annie Hall, but I love Annie Hall. I've you, only you seen no Annie to? Hall once, so this is gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna be <laughs> meekly sitting in the corner while you guys discuss this movie. Um, I liked it. Um, I liked it more than I like most Woody Allen movies. Mm-hmm. Most of the, most Woody Allen movies end up feeling to me like they're trying a little too hard. Mm-hmm. Whether it's the the dialogue or the forced 50 year age gap between Woody and his co-star or what have you. I think Manhattan murder mysteries is probably my favorite that mm, or bullets I, over Broadway. I do oh, love yeah. Manhattan murder mystery. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it, Annie Hall had a murder mystery that I believe became the basis for Manhattan murder mystery later. I did not know that they cut it out. Annie Hall was, had a murder mystery in it. No shit. Yes, it did. And he cut it out. And I, 
if I if I've read my trivia on this movie uh, correctly, it there may be like trace elements of it. Oh, still. I gotta fucking watch. That I would my my money's out. on the Christopher Walken character possibly <laughs> being part what of about that. The uh, what about the uh, Sigourney Weaver character that we just weren't oh, yeah. girl yeah. standing outside of the movie? That's theater. right. <laughs> I love Annie Hall so much, though, because much like what we were talking about with La La Land and everything, this isn't a a movie that necessarily has a happy ending. No. It has a couple that we like in it. They're really good together. They obviously aren't. They shouldn't be together, though. By the end of it, we understand this. They shouldn't be together. Um, But they have like such a, a great beginning to it. It's this beautiful opening to it. Like they, she's kind of ditzy and, mm-hmm. and he's over intellectual or he thinks he is or whatever. And, but they have this great chemistry, but that those differences sort of manifest over time and everything. You feel like they, they shouldn't be together. No, no, I have, I, I see what you're saying to me, the inability of Woody Allen to write women Mm-hmm. is is apparent all throughout his whole thing until he gets to blue jasmine which mm-hmm. arguably is is not the best characteristic of a woman yeah, either. Yeah, yeah. uh but like you can see how what he's done because he's pushing all these books and all these like morbid you know holocaust or you know nazi occupation type of literature on her and you can see her grow from this flighty la-di-da type of person into you know somewhat of an intellectual um he doesn't really grow at all. No, that's the <laughs> she problem. She has very little effect on that's him. That's sort besides, of the problem. Is yeah. she? She sort of. It's almost like they're saying at first she's attracted to him because he is so smart or or appears so much smarter than her, mm-hmm. and she's latching onto that. And then yes, she definitely grows, but she wants to have a lot of fun, and she still wants to do all these different things. Too. Take some drugs every yeah, once yeah. in a while, and all that. And uh, and he's just yeah too serious, and there's just the the two differences are are just too strong for them to for them to stay together. I do like I mean because it's nice because he wrote the dialogue, but like early on in their relationship, she's like, "You're what my grandma would call a real Jew." Yeah, 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 yeah. And he's like, <laughs> he's like "Oh he's yeah, like, okay, thanks, yeah." <laughs> But this what? is something that sort of mixes all it mixes fantasy and yeah. uh, and all sorts of little fun techniques. He does so many different comedy techniques in this. This is it's it's as close to like an airplane movie you can get without being slapstick. Yeah, exactly. Like it's got almost every joke in it except that basically. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, because there's the part where they're having the conversation, and there's like the text that shows what they're really uh-huh. thinking about while they're doing it. That is, there's that great scene when he goes to L.A. and everybody has something just pretentious on their mind. Yeah, like it's just it's just a slice of life. Like the guys, <laughs> like like uh, yeah, it's a concept now, and I think that I could get money to convert it to an idea yeah. and all that. It's like. It's like and there's like another thing that he throws in there and I can't remember that whole quote, but there's that there's the, there's the Jeff Goldblum cameo yeah. where he's like, uh, excuse me. I, so I'm looking for my mantra. <laughs> <laughs> he's on the phone. I'm looking for my mantra. I can't find my mantra. Uh, no, that's, um, it, it's another cliche. That's become a cliche. These Woody Allen romantic comedies. But the reason I think that it won best picture is that it was wholly original at that point, you know? Mm-hmm. And I love it, man. I love it. because unlike La La Land, 
the relationship starts to kind of nosedive pretty early on. Mm-hmm. Like after the beginning when like, you know, they're starting to uh, they really connect emotionally. And then she's like, oh, I want to move into your place. And then she starts smoking some grass. And he's like, oh, well, you know, why do you always got to do that before we have sex? And that kind of thing. And then they go to analysis. And like, it really is the story is basically the the destruction of that that relationship more than it is the buildup. Yeah. And that, you know, they have the split screen there where yeah. she's, you know, the, the greatest part of that split screen, obviously, is when it gets to the sex part. And, yeah. You know, the. You know, she's the. Isn't the greatest part of anything when they get to the. Oh, it is. (laughs) Even in Woody Allen movies. But, you know, her therapist is like, how, like, uh, he's like, how much. He asked Woody Allen, how much sex are you having? Barely any, like three times a week. And then it goes to her and she's like, how much sex are you having? All the time, three times a (laughs) week. (laughs) Um, There's so much good about this. It's an hour and a half, just tightly just tightly filled with just great observations and jokes mm-hmm. uh and then yeah there's the part where he's just walking down the sidewalk and he's like wondering what he's got to do and everything keeps running into these people and just asking them questions yeah. randomly <laughs> you know I, I i briefly mentioned this in a, a podcast recently um uh the one where the the He's asking all these people. The one old lady is like, you know, is like, oh, you never, it's never what you do. It's like love, love fades, you know? <laughs> and then it gets to the couple and he's like, he's like, how do you, you guys look happy? What do you do? What do you do to stay together? And she's like, well, I have, I'm, I have no ideas and I'm, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I kind of ha- don't contribute anything to the conversation and, uh, and, uh, you know, whatever. It's like really empty thing. And he goes, and I'm exactly the same way. <laughs> and then the one guy who's like, uh, is like, how do you keep, how do you keep, uh, your sex life going? He's like, and my wife and I use a large vibrating egg. <laughs> <laughs> can't go wrong yeah he's like well you ask a psychopath question you get a psychopath answer and he just goes up and asks a cop you know whatever and then there's like an animated sequence right after that he's like i always uh i was always in love with the wicked queen i don't know um but like uh that movie is just filled with so much great stuff and imagine just getting that in an hour and a half and i would love to have heard that conversation Mm. where they had that murder mystery in it at one point and said and the difficult there was probably some really difficult cuts yeah in all of that they probably had some gold in there you know and i don't know if it ever got filmed or if they just got cut from the script well you're but. right it's it's super tight even though they've got this whole section of where they meet then they've got this whole section of you know how, how they're they're going downhill then they've got the california thing there's an absurd amount of candy paul simon's in yeah. this thing <laughs> uh i mean this is just it's chock full of all of this stuff that's just so compact you know, we were talking about how out of sight is is almost perfectly edited and perfectly paced. Mm. This is the same way. To yeah, me. absolutely. Uh, nearly completely derived from Annie Hall is When Harry Met Sally. And mm-hmm. as, as we were going through all the stuff in Annie Hall, I can point to something in When Harry Met Sally that Annie Hall did or, or at least inspired. It's I mean, like a Simpsons did it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's a the split screen thing that happens in When Harry Met Sally when they when uh Billy Crystal's talking to Bruno Kirby mm-hmm. and and uh and Meg Ryan's talking to Carrie Fisher. Mm-hmm. Like uh they're both like 
of course, Carrie Fisher and Bruno Kirby are like together at that moment, and they're both talking on the phone to them or yeah. whatever. And it gets to the point where they're like, "Well, and the ultimately, uh, we did it." And then both <laughs> yeah. of them say, "We did it at the same time." They turn around, they did it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's that. There's just the walking and talking around New York. There's yeah. all. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in there that's like it. Now, the when Harry met Sally has a little bit different kind of setup. These are people who don't like each other really at first they're forced together in a car basically to drive cross country and they become friends and the whole thing is like well you know can men and women really be friends is sort of it's you know it's main thing but what do we think about when harry met sally men and women cannot be friends apparently not according to this movie <laughs> um, regardless of what the movie says my experience with that has not been good um i love this movie this was on uh, just a couple weeks ago and i was watching part of it and I, I forgot and shame on me for this but i forgot how funny carrie fisher is yeah, yeah. oh and, my god she's got some of the best stuff in this yeah she does and you know just i guess seeing it in the light of her recent passing, I was paying more attention to her. Mm. Uh, and, you know, she, she's not the first thing you think of with this movie, right? Meg Ryan and Billy Crystal pretty much steal the show. And this is the one that made Meg Ryan a megastar, right? Absolutely. Took her from an actress on the up to America's Sweetheart she, for a good The decade. orgasm awesome. scene, yeah. probably. Uh, more also than any... derived from Annie Hall. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because, yeah, yeah, that was, yeah, that was one of Diane Keaton goes into theatrics in that movie. But, uh, but no, that's obviously the most famous scene, and it's, it's a scene that really drove her to huge megastardom yep. during this time. Um. The, just briefly back on Carrie Fisher, the part that I always laugh at the most in this movie is there's the big argument she has with Bruno Kirby about whether or not they're going to keep this wagon wheel yeah. table. <laughs> and, uh, and like, and, uh, so Billy Crystal comes in and he goes off on his little tirade and everything. And, uh, he's like, he's like, he's like, you know, you know what? You're going to, you're going to, you're going to hate this coffee table at the beginning or at the end of it, you're going to, you're, you're going to be going to be fighting over who has this coffee table and all that <laughs> other type of stuff. And he leaves. And then she, she goes, she goes to Bruno Kirby. And she says, I just want you to know that I will never want this coffee. Table. <laughs> you think it's going to be one of these tender moments about like, I'm never going to leave you or something like that. And she's like, no, I just want you to know. I will never want this coffee table. <laughs> I like how casual this is like the peak of casual sex in America, which is crazy because it's late eighties and mm -hmm. AIDS and everything. But the amount of sex that Billy Crystal has in this Oh yeah. And he's like this letharius I think he's telling Bruno Kirby he's like, This girl was crazy last night. She was meowing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. And he's like he's like you made a girl meow? <laughs> The uh, and 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 then he has a uh, he's talking with Meg Ryan when they're friends and he's he's uh, he's like uh, went to an Ethiopian restaurant and uh, I was like oh that's funny I didn't think Ethiopia had food or something <laughs> like that and he's like this is gonna be a quick meal and he goes and he's like nothing 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 out of her and everything he says oh well you don't have he's like I don't guess you don't have to go to bed with everybody he's like oh I went to bed with her yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the common theme we just discovered between these two movies is they both star people who in the movies sleep with more hot women than they probably do in real life yeah <laughs> right like bill crystal billy crystal's funny and famous so he probably doesn't have any trouble getting laid but he's not like a hunk no he's not like the guy that's out there pulling tail every other night it's the funny guy but he's man. playing one yeah i'm yeah. a funny guy i never had that i never oh, had that really? experience no that was before yeah. you grew the beard you have to you have to <laughs> 
You have to be you have to be David Spade before you kind of pull off that. You think David Spade gets tons of ass? Yes, he I know to. for a fact he does, Why? and or he did because uh, every time, like in the, I guess it was the late '90s, early in the last decade. He was always with some new model. You're yeah. right. But I just meant now. You're right. Oh, well, when he was at the top of his popularity. Who knows right. about now? I mean, I'm sure he still he still got it in some way. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I derailed us there. But When Harry Met <laughs> Sally is cool, though, because it's almost epic in a way, because it goes over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. It goes over about 20 years, I guess. Something this is like one that. of the first romantic comedies I've ever seen that did that. Because mm-hmm. you know, your standard romantic comedy is, you know, over in a week how to lose a guy in 10 days (laughs) and you know this goes on for a couple decades and it's a really interesting way to look at how a relationship evolves i think yeah um but uh it's it it's also uh goes through all their their different uh failures and in in their love lives Mm -hmm. and everything and it shows how much it drives them it drives billy crystal's character to sleep with everything that moves his his uh his divorce has really crushed him. You can mm-hmm. tell, even though he's a funny dude all the way through this, you can tell what he's sort of like healing himself with yeah. is just like, let's get into bed with everybody that we can possibly get in. Meanwhile, she is almost to the point of like not dating anybody at all because mm-hmm. of her past failure. The, the, the guy that she was with forever didn't want to marry her. And then like later on, he marries like the first girl he sees yeah. And, uh, and so it's sort of like these things that sort of like screw them up completely. Uh, Nora Ephron's original script, which I'm trying to debate whether or not this would have been better or not. She didn't want them together. Yeah. It ended up being that Rob Reiner and Billy Crystal sort of talked it out and said that, yeah, they should totally get together and at the end, but that's not what Nora Ephron who, you know, wrote the script wanted to do. I think um, I could get behind that. I think so too. I I, I like those better because they're a little bit more realistic. Now, it's a debate on whether or not this movie would have been as huge of a hit as it was if they didn't get together at the end because yeah. the people generally don't like those. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so your your art and commerce are t- uh, playing a little go. tug of war. That makes me think maybe it was just more than Rob Reiner and Billy Crystal talking to her. Like maybe <laughs> there was a studio executive in the in the conversation as well. Yeah, it could have been. Although every time they talk about it, they say like I, every time I've seen Nora Ephron talk about it, she's like it just kind of made a, they made a decision without me or whatever. Mm-hmm. Was, you know, so I had to deal with it. Hmm. Um, I think we can agree that both of these guys Woody Allen and Billy Crystal are probably at the peak of their comedy acting abilities at this point right yeah you know remember when Woody Allen was so pissed about when Harry Met Sally ripping off Annie Hall that he made a movie uh, about when Harry Met Sally's main character he called it Deconstructing Harry (laughs) I do oh my god that was way too much setup for that joke (laughs) it took him eight years but he he finally got and it wasn't you know what was weird it didn't really have much to say about when Harry Met Sally (laughs) so strange wasn't that when like he goes into like the levels of hell yeah. or something like that yeah and, uh, I, that's a that's an underrated woody allen i movie. like it yeah yeah it's got a lot of a lot of people in it but there's like robin williams plays a guy who like uh he's either he either he has a problem fading out or yeah, something yeah, or yeah. becoming blurry yeah, or something yeah. like that don't uh, you have that poster I think I do. I think that's Ooh, why that's that a good movie poster. comes to my brain. I may it's have all that the different poster. Little yeah, yeah, the yeah. yeah. I think you had it up at your old apartment. I don't know if I ever had it up, but I I did. 
I maybe I don't know. I ha- I think I do have that poster. To everybody listening, Chris's poster collection is staggering. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. I mean, it's righteous, from, mostly from the '90s and some, you know, a little bit in, after that. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, they're not still shipping them to you these days. No, no, you no. You don't no. have the new Spider-Man <laughs> Homecoming poster. No, no. Um, okay, so what are we gonna do, guys? We're gonna vote. Who's the votey firsty guy? What do you think of that Spider-Man Homecoming poster? I liked the posters. The he first trailer little... didn't wow me. Let's see what the second trailer does. It seems a little bright, doesn't it? Well, like, it seems yeah. like the hue is or contrast is turned way up yeah. on his suit. It's, yes, yes. I get, I'm sure that's. Did you see the teaser? Because tomorrow there's a new trailer, and they put out a teaser today where the spider on his suit pops off and turns into a drone and flies away. No. So apparently, Tony Stark has built some wicked shit into the huh. Spider-Man. Suit. I, I, you know what? I don't get much into the trailers and and posters, but I am excited about that movie. I. I I would love to see another Spider-Man movie be a home run. Yeah. And it's been a while. It, it's got all the elements. This, this Tom Holland guy, I, I think there's something about him. I think so. Something about Tom Holland that I think is going to be going to be great. And you have a metal arm? That's yeah. awesome. He <laughs> was great in that movie. So, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it based on that. And fuck Justice League. Um, <laughs> all right, I'm first. All right, yeah, you're first. Oh, man. I like when Harry met Sally, and I really like Billy Crystal. When Billy Crystal's humming, like it's just, he's so sharp, he's so quick, and I kind of miss that. Like the City Slickers, uh, when Harry met Sally, uh, or forget that one Paris. where he's an NBA referee. Forget Paris. Oh, is that what you just said? Yeah. <laughs> I think that was it. Wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's what that oh was. Oh my god, that's a funny. It was the that's one hilarious. where he's like, uh, where he kicks Kareem Abdul-Jabbar <laughs> out, and he's like, "It's my farewell game." Well, let me be the first to say farewell. <laughs> <laughs> he's arguing with Charles Barkley yeah. and everything. He's like this tiny thing. Anyway, oh, I got to vote for Andy Hall because I think it's it's it, it's probably it's my third favorite Woody Allen film. I think mm-hmm. uh, behind Manhattan and Crimes and Misdemeanors. Mm-hmm. Um, and it any day it could like reshuffle because those three are just absolutely brilliant. I think for for very different reasons. Uh, this is one of the most perfect love stories I've ever seen, and I think maybe it's because when Harry Met Sally apes it so much that I got to give it to the original. So that's my pick. All right. Oh, it's me. Uh, Annie Hall. Um, Annie Hall. The the. Uh, it's <laughs> it's like Annie. Sandler. <laughs> sloppy Joe. Sloppy Annie Hall. Um, really, nothing against when Harry Met Sally, even though. How many times have I like cringed on, <laughs> on the the idea of it winning of winning something or whatever? But um, I really do love that movie. But Annie Hall is just start to finish everything perfect about it. There's mm-hmm. nothing. There's nothing wasted. There. Yeah. There's no lobsters in When Harry Met Sally. No, there isn't. And there's just every joke. Just about every joke lands in Annie mm-hmm. Hall. It's impossible. It's an impossible thing. And he's. This is something, too, where you see Woody Allen sort of, ex- you see him experimenting. You don't think of Woody, I don't really think of Woody Allen as an experimenter, but he does yeah. do that a lot. Yeah. And you see that in Crimes and Misdemeanors, where he's got sort of like two different kind of tonal stories going on at once. Same thing with Melinda and Melinda and all that. Mighty Aphrodite. Mighty Aphrodite. Yeah, yeah. he does uh, all these type of things that you, you oh, he's really kind of playing around and those are the with, great ones. Those are the ones that you remember. You don't remember anything else. Or yeah. anything, you know, it, something like Shadows and Fog, which I like a lot better than a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just a complete departure form. Match Point was the same thing. I should shut up. Go on. No, yeah, you just but, love Woody Allen. Uh, do, let let but, your Woody love show. <laughs> let the flowing love of Woody. But anyway, yeah, given a choice between these two, I'm going to pick Annie Hall. 
Uh, I'm going to go, it doesn't matter, obviously, but I'm going to go with uh, When Harry Met Sally. Mm-hmm. Just because I have way more affiliation with that movie. This was one of those movies that I watched a million times in college. It led to my Harry Connick Jr. obsession for many years because mm-hmm. he did that soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I actually forgot that. That's, that's it's a, a great soundtrack. soundtrack. Yeah. Um, and I just I don't have enough. You're probably right. Like, I probably should be voting for any hall, but I haven't seen it enough to really know that. And mm-hmm. I got to kind of vote my own experience here. Um, so let's kick one over to Meg Ryan and Billy Crystal and uh, Meaningless Tally. Yay. Yeah. All right. So Annie Hall moves on. Ooh. And we are Juicy on. matchup. I know you guys don't look at this, but it's got a juicy matchup. We on. are into our, this is our last South round. Yay! It's the eight and nine seeds, and it's going to be tough. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. The eight seed, Raiders of the Lost Ark versus number nine, Gravity. Mm -hmm. Only one of these has Jeremy recorded an acapella YouTube video. (laughs) That is correct. George Clooney died. In fact, we haven't done anything on Raiders yet. That may have to be remedied at some point. Well, if they're going to make another one. Yeah, if they make another one, definitely. We'll be able to go back. Definitely go through that. But uh, number eight, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Now, again, this is sort of attaching into... Our era's childhoods here. Yeah. I know that you didn't watch this movie when it first came out right. or even until like way after Last Crusade came out or whatever, but uh, I, I was a kid who saw this movie early and everything, and man, I love me some Raiders. <laughs> it's Spielberg just couldn't do any wrong, from except for 1941. Uh, from 1975 to 1982, he couldn't do any wrong. Everything that was... You know, every reason why I like movies is because Spielberg did this and this and this and this. Are yeah. you saying, are you putting the cutoff at uh, Temple of Doom? Yeah, I'm not going to mm. include Temple of Doom on mm. that. Now, I don't think I saw Temple of Doom until later. I did oh, really? see Raiders of the Lost Ark, and I think I saw Last Crusade after that. Then I saw Temple of Doom. Mm. I may have seen Temple of Doom, just didn't remember it as a kid or whatever. But, yeah. But, uh, but Raiders of the Lost Ark is exactly what action adventure should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, Across the world, looking for a, an artifact, yeah. you know, and it's it's you know it's a religious artifact or whatever, but like it's got it's got all of that plus Nazis plus things attached to the Nazis, <laughs> and like you know it's this and you have it's it, this is this guy's just an archaeology teacher yeah. guy, <laughs> and he's like, uh, but he but he makes it he makes it seem believable for whatever reason, yeah, he, you know the. And the you know the opening of this is just all time classic yeah. stuff. And, you know, going that is you know like have a uh, an early uh, appearance from Alfred Molina in that in that scene. Oh, oh is really? that he the throw me the whip? Yeah, throw me the throw, me the, throw me the idol. Oh. Oh. Alfred Molina. I didn't realize that was him. Yeah, mm. uh, but uh, that's so cool. Get your imagination going. Definitely. When Man, you watch something like that, Indiana Jones fanboys are some of the most passionate you will ever meet i think mm-hmm. i told a story before about my friend josh who wanted to fight my friend kevin because kevin liked national treasure better than Rage of the Lost Ark. <laughs> it, well hold on let's stop the podcast and try to go fight kevin right now <laughs> <laughs> well, we have to go up. to freaking arkansas <laughs> <laughs> um and our buddy jeremy simser um uh-huh. uh he showed me on twitter that his wife got him like an indiana jones hat and like leather jacket or what have. he's a big fanboy. Mm-hmm. and my, my friend josh that i'm just talking about has a hat and a whip and a comic book and a poster and everywhere he's ever lived that I've known him all that he has an Indiana Jones wall and he puts <laughs> that stuff up. And I just 
I remember thinking, I, I've never loved anything as much as he loves Indiana Jones. <laughs> like, these people are rabid. Uh, and, you know, I think there's a really good reason for that, because when this movie came out, uh, we didn't have anything like this, right? Mm-hmm. We just had, I don't know, the timing on the years and everything, but the only o- options we had were like King Solomon's Minds. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. You yeah. remember that movie? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> used to play I on do. Sunday every week. Yeah. yeah. Um, and this was a hero that we could look up to if we were bookish nerds. We could look up to if we were athletes or jocks or action people. Um, he uses his wits. There's really nothing to dislike about this movie. Um it's just a, it's just one of those weird situations for me. It's like Horrible Bosses 2 and 1 because I saw Last Crusade first. That feels like the original to me, even mm. though I know it's not. But and so I am mentally holding Raiders and, and Temple of Doom later up to Last Crusade uh, and it just feels too different for me even though I realize I'm the reverse of the way most people experience this. <laughs> yeah. I was having a conversation with somebody like freshman year of college or something like that. We were talking about like what is a masculine ideal? And all of us said Indiana Jones or Harrison Ford, <laughs> Indiana Jones, because exactly for that reason, because he's smart, he's capable. He doesn't it's it's not like a John McClane thing, but he does make it look difficult. It doesn't always look like, oh, this is a breeze. Like, I'll just do this and swing over here. He makes it look like, you know, he's kind of getting hurt when he you know, gets punched and that kind of thing. And it's just this this movie is pure spectacle from from everything from. The snakes and uh, you know the, the the pyramids and all that stuff, or wherever he goes in the tomb, uh, to the the Nazis that are just always on their heels, and then the escape with Karen Allen. It's it's really really outstanding. I will say Indiana Jones is probably the reason I was such a big fan of the game Pitfall on Atari. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I used to play that game. That game was hard. Yes, it was. God, those oil pits were huge. Yep. Why are you looking at me like that? I never played Pitfall. You never yeah, played that game? And, uh, oh, that game was rad. Jump across the crocodiles and uh, Oh, yeah, I know what that. you're talking about. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just a left to right. You swing on the vine over the <laughs> Well, wall. it would be the, one of those weird things where on if you're, if you're playing the top of the board... And you would go across and you'd be like, okay, so that's that's how everything is. But then you go to the bottom of the board and somehow like all the screens would start advancing more or something like that. It was really weird. Um, Anyway, uh, this movie is is perfect in every way as far as action adventure is concerned. Get your imagination going. That's the biggest thing for me when I watch something like this. I don't know what it is about National Treasure that is such an inferior product to this. It's not because National Treasure doesn't have its merits. Mm-hmm. Like I, I actually like the first National Treasure. The second one's yeah. garbage. Yeah. Oh, the, yeah. the first one I liked okay. I think the first one it just sort of maybe just a bit too dumb in some of the things that they're going. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about dumb as in unintelligent. I'm just talking about the way the action is uh, taking place in it. But it's very hard to emulate something like this. I don't know they. There's nothing. I mean, Raiders of the Lost Ark has every much as ridiculous type of stuff that National Treasure yeah. does. I mean, to, to think about that opening scene, <laughs> yeah, it's it's ridiculous. <laughs> but like National Treasure does some of the most ridiculous. I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> you know, it's the, that's it, a great you got, little, Cage. you got a little Bill Paxton in your Nick Cage there. <laughs> oh yeah, just uh, go back and listen to it later when Varys done with the edit. You'll hear it. Um, I thought it was beautiful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, it was it was good. I was just saying it was a hint, a hint of Paxton, <laughs> a Susan. Well, a you, you win some, you lose. <laughs> uh, but uh, 
you know, the, there's there's more audacious stupidity in National Treasure than sure. there is in Raiders of the Lost Ark. I think Raiders of the Lost Ark still manages to keep it fun without getting into that that area where we're like, anything goes, just start drinking, <laughs> you know, and stuff while you're. But uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark has a convergence of a lot of people. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Spielberg. This is a dream team up of Lucas Spielberg and Lawrence Kasdan who wrote the screenplay. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just everything about this perfectly works. So the score, Johnny Williams coming through again, yeah. man. And there's a, there's a sort of that sense of wonder every time you see the map and you see him <laughs> flying across. And it's like, you know, all that, and it's just going to all these different places. Like, wow, he's going to all sorts of spots. Wow, well, that's crazy. There was a period in our childhood where John Williams was basically the only composer. Yep, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the big iconic scores. Superman, Star Wars, Indiana Jones, yeah. all that guy. Mm-hmm. Oh man, he had he had as good a run as anyone in Hollywood ever did. Absolutely, it's sort of Raiders of the Lost Ark sort of gets you in the fun of like if you're a video game person of playing an RPG. Yeah, where you he has to go across the world to find all these different things. They, even even him having to go back and find Marion, who's got this medallion that he needs. You know, that's another, I mean, it's one of those things. He's got to do this in order to go to do that and so on and so forth. But every one of these tasks have their own, like, fun to it to me. Going down there is fun. Uh, Going, him attaching the medallion and everything to the little staff and seeing, and, you know, seeing the light go over the, I mean, that's just fun. I mean, it's just fun stuff. Okay. So anyway, we've, uh, we've agreed that that it's fun. And of course, there's also (laughs) the, uh, um, <laughs> of course no, we the, have agreed. We've agreed it. You're making um, me think of White Christmas, where they're like trying to explain why they brought their whole show up to rehearse at the lodge. It's like, yeah, we we decided this lodge was just ideal. You got all these empty rooms and this great rehearsal space. It's just ideal. And the guy's like, we we can agree that the lodge is ideal. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, even I even think about stuff too about Raiders of the Lost Ark. The the you know the the classic scene where the the samurai guy comes yeah. out and starts swinging the sword and everything. You think about, I always think about how, what a miracle it is that certain movies even get made and cer- certain movies got got everything together. And that's a scene where Harrison Ford, if he's not sick, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't, it's not that. It's going to be a battle if it's, if it's you know, if he's not sick. Uh-huh. And then it inter- turns out to be one of the most famous scenes in the movie is him just shooting the guy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm just like, that's just astounding to me. Like the the mistakes that turn into great, or not mistakes, but the, the challenges that turn into great things. Yeah. yeah. All right. So it's going up against Gravity, Alfonso Ooh. Cuaron's great, Ooh. great science fact, basically. Yep. Uh, I science mean, fact horror movie. Science fact <laughs> horror movie. Um, uh, I, I don't know. This is a, such an unusual film because it's. it's, it's uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to define space as you know universe the universe and the galaxy as a small space. It isn't a small space, but it is in one location essentially yeah. all the way through it, uh, with with the big giant Earth in yeah. the background almost always. Um, what do you what would what would we like to say about gravity? I love this movie so oh, much. Oh, I fucking love it. Um. I'm not even as bothered by the sudden Clooney at the end as you are, yeah. um, because you know I can buy that a person in her state is hallucinating at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one of the most tense movie watching experiences I've ever had. Yep, and it's a combination of 
just sort of the story that we're seeing and then the way he shoots it. Um, the only movie I've ever seen in 3D where I thought the 3D actually added something. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, to what I was feeling, not just to what I was seeing. Um, and, you know, if you think about, I don't think that we stop often enough here on planet Earth to think about <laughs> the risks these people take when they get shot into space to work mm -hmm. on satellites or what have you, or go to the International Space Station. Like he says in The Martian, this is space. It doesn't cooperate. And this movie is about space just really vehemently not cooperating yeah. <laughs> and trying to kill Sandra Bullock. Yeah. There's only two, I'll tell you why it's so tense. There's only two moments really where this movie pauses. You know, it's it's basically at the very beginning. Yeah. And they throw you right into it. They're not even like preparing for the spacewalk. They're just out there. Yeah. And, you know, something, okay, this is coming uh, your way. You know, just, just, you know, take a look at it. And he's like, okay, yeah, that's fine. And then when it comes... You're on the trip, and the only other time is when Sandra Bullock finally gets into the the hatch and takes off her spacesuit and that kind of thing, and just does that fetal position. Mm -hmm. But then you're right back the fuck into it yeah. right after that, yeah, until the very end of the movie, and just clutching the the handrests of the the seat the entire time. Just love it, man. It's a very minimal soundtrack to yep. it, where. You know, we'd only really hear music once the space debris starts coming in. Uh, to basically put their do the assault on the uh, little ship that they're on or whatever, mm. uh, and it's always just super intense. Like it, they don't. It's not like we don't see that like uh, you know horrible blockbuster thing of like we see the perspective of the space debris as it right. approaches yeah. the <laughs> you know it's 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 coming from a distance and it's coming in closer and and, and there's always some, I've always found that more menacing than you know, getting right up into the action and everything. Um, and yeah, it's terrifying for exact reasons of being of space, not being cooperative, you know, her spinning out of control oh. is one of those, is one of those scenes where you're just like, how, yeah. how would you ever get out of this? Yeah. You don't have a reference point, no. No. you know? Uh, and, and, you know, Clooney finally, you know, reels her in. Of course there's like, uh, you know, at great expense to his own life by the end of it. But, uh, uh, it, yeah, it's so intense. And, and you're right. This is a movie that was one of the first times I actually saw a 3D IMAX, and I was like, that was worth it. Yep, yep. And this, I think it it gives us a believable problem, right? Mm -hmm. Much like, I, I don't want to just keep referencing The Martian because they're two space movies, but <laughs> much like The Martian gives you enough science to explain what it's showing you and it feels like that could be a future we're in, we really do have hundreds of satellites circulating the Earth. Mm -hmm. Many of them are falling. Many of them, I mean, we, space debris is a real problem. Yeah. <laughs> like there's that joke in Wally -E that they covered the Earth with so many satellites the sun couldn't get through or whatever. Yeah. It's not that bad yet. But, you know, space debris as a thing is something that they have to take into consideration. And so it creates this believable yet non human terrifying because they're just these tiny little pieces right yeah. like if it was like a meteor that'd be freaky uh -huh. it's even scarier being a thousand little pieces of metal and material moving at super fast speeds and it rips through that shit yep like paper Man. yeah and he only gives us it's not this huge expositional dialogue telling you you know this is what these things do. And right. You got to be careful. I think he says like just offhandedly, like, you know, if that thing hits you, it's like basically taking a bullet or something like yeah. that. And it doesn't, 
it just puts you in there and it's just this is what's going to happen basically. how in the world do they calculate you have to know every satellite and its trajectory to be able to launch something into space i guess right. and i guess that's what you do you mm. every single thing cataloged here's how fast it's going here's where it'll be at this time and then when you do your launch, you're like, okay, I'm going to hit this at this exact time when nothing's here yeah. and so on. I, I, that's just insanity to me. It is insanity and uh, kind of fascinating, actually. Yep. Um, yeah. yeah, this movie is awesome. It and, is. And uh, I don't know what else to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We need to vote now? Let's do it. Um, as much as I love gravity, I'm going Raiders here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Raiders is just uh, an overall, I think, more exciting movie. And I think it's just there's just more moments I can grab onto. If there was anything, and we've talked about the thing in gravity before where, where Clooney quote unquote comes back to her and, and explains, you know, the launches is launching his landing or landing is launching, whatever it is and all that. It's one of those like ham handed moments in a movie that you're just like, I know you want Clooney back. I know you want him back. <laughs> He's been but gone can, from like the 15. Can't we just have her like, think of it? instead of having him show up and mm. like have her hallucinating Clooney onto the ship and everything. Um, I mean, that's just a, that's a very pale criticism of the movie. It's not anything that really upsets me. It's just one of those things you're like, Oh, come on. Yeah. Um, Raiders of the Lost Ark is just always entertaining, always great. It's Spielberg at his, his very best again. I mean, it's, it's hard to go against him. I've only done it once, uh, yeah. as far as these matchups are concerned. Um, so I'm going to go Raiders here. I'm going gravity. Um, and I'm going to get all kinds of shit for it. And I'm prepared for that because (laughs) I will take space debris and point it back at the shit talkers and it will plow through them like a bullet. Uh, no, I like Raiders a lot. I just never, I just never fell in love with it the way anyone besides me did. (laughs) And if I had all three Indiana Jones, all four Indiana Jones movies in front of me. No, you were right the first time. (laughs) (laughs) I would choose Last Crusade um, first, and I would probably watch Raiders after that, Mm. and I might not even watch Temple of Doom at all. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it's not a knock on Raiders, because I I see its greatness. I see that Spielberg at the top of his game, Harrison Ford at the top of his charm. I just was more moved by gravity. Um, it made my brain think. It made me scared. Mm-hmm. It gave me... When a movie can make me anxious with its tension building, mm-hmm. it's it's very hard for me to ignore that. I think that's one of the, the hardest things for a movie to evoke in me. And this movie does it uh, in ways almost no other movie has. And so I'm, I'm going with gravity. What's funny is that Alfonso Cuaron had one of the tensest movies of all time in Children of Men yep. and somehow dialed that up yeah. even more. Yeah, you thought that was tense. Check this <laughs> shit out. Like, I'm going to make your asshole permanently <laughs> clenched and you will uh, stop there. Uh, <laughs> Don't you know, stop for me. <laughs> you know what I like? I like me some Karen Allen. Yeah, I do too. That scene where she's out drinking the, the dude there. That's man. awesome. Out God. drinking the oh, out drinking the dude. I thought you meant out like outside and then drinking the dude. Like the dude was a drink. The dude, it really should be. She's she's playing the player in that game. Exactly. And that's yeah. a, that's the great thing about that scene is that is that she knows that he thinks that she's just a weak willed uh, little bartender. Yeah, uh, girl bartender, 
and she's like pretending like all this stuff is affecting her way more than it really is yeah and he's like she's playing into his like uh actual like uh belief system there. yeah and then making him drink way more than he would ever do in a normal, you know, drinking game or whatever. And that's what's so satisfying about it. Once you find out, oh, that didn't even affect her. And she's just, she's so beautiful, she's but stunning. like relatable and like, she's adorable. I don't know, man. Like, I, I love me some Karen. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was probably, I don't know, of all of the Indiana Jones things, and I'm talking while I'm still trying to make this decision. Indiana Jones goes through a lot of women. Um, but uh, this was the the most believable. I guess that's why they came back to it. In the, mm-hmm. the fourth one. I'm gonna go Gravity. Wow! I, this movie, this movie, got me in a way. Uh, it's probably an experience because I saw it on my birthday. Um, it was just me in a theater alone, just absolutely riveted. This is chaos. Thing. Yeah. This is chaos. I know. We've, Chris we've is heard, now we've in my Chris's dark night position. <laughs> Look at his face. You see the grimacing on his face? His face is turning red. Uh, oh, oh, no. I don't I don't feel great about it. These I don't like myself different. anymore. <laughs> I, 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 I don't like myself anymore. <laughs> we've all experienced this at this point where <laughs> a movie that should have won, maybe, didn't move along. Yep. Um... And this is my second time that <laughs> I have felt this way about a matchup. Um, and um, <laughs> oh, I can't believe you voted Grant. I really thought I was going to be the only one. No, oh, I love it. I well, love that movie. Guess what, fuckos? It goes against Schindler's List now. So you can go uh, fuck yeah. yourselves. Well, Raiders was doomed anyway then. Okay, so we have finished the South region. Woohoo! Hey! So we're going to go through what our matchups are now in the second round of the South region. And that is, we just said, Schindler's List and Gravity are Ooh. going up against each other. Mm. Then we have The Untouchables versus The Social Network. Ooh. Oh. And then we have Jurassic Park versus Alien. That's awesome. (laughs) That is great. And then we have Annie Hall versus Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Wow. You should watch Annie Hall before we get to that. I will. I mean, I've seen it. I just haven't seen it in like 10 years. That is crazy. That's a crazy set of matchups. Yeah. That's a good region right there. Goofy. All right. Now we're going to finally get to our last region, which is the West region. And uh, our number one seed, uh, Back to the Future is going up against Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. Jesus. The 16Z. See, the problem is, it is going to go by faster once we're done with the first round, Mm -hmm. but the decisions are going to be harder. Yep. And I'm going to sit here hemming and hawing in silence more. I have a feeling we'll be talking a little bit more than I think we ought, we will be once these second rounds come up because it's always the the versus part of yeah. it. You start talking yourself into one movie or the other uh but i do think they will go a little bit fast there's not much we can say else about these movies after we, <laughs> we're just going repeating over the That's same true. old ground and everything but but yeah we will be there will be some challenges in this that we'll be like sitting there going back and forth and when everybody's gonna be like just pick already yeah um so back to the future versus the two towers uh uh been very vocal about back to the future being my favorite movie the two towers is my favorite lord of the rings movie mm-hmm. um so back to the future uh is you know it was one of the most singular moments of my childhood watching this basically front row 
in 1985. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Nice. It had been out for a while. My brothers had already seen it, and uh, and I we went and, and saw it one afternoon, and I was like, man, I'm just just captivated by this movie. The, you, the, were you seven or eight? I was eight. Wow, eight that's a old. that's a fun age to see that. Yes, it yes it yeah. is. Um, but uh, the, the, just the idea that you can you know go back in time with a car, and I, I was I really like Michael J. Fox too. Yeah. I was a Family <laughs> Ties fan yeah, yeah. during yeah. the time. Um, he's he was one of my favorite actors back then. Um, and then you know just the just the thought the thought of it going back in time thirty years and like changing things for the better for you know for yourself when you go back. It's not how they originally go. He's just stuck back there, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. That's the that's the main thing. That's what I like about it. He's not going back for a purpose. Right. He's going back because he's being chased by these Libyan national guys. <laughs> and uh and uh and it, the car ends up going 88 and he goes in the back it goes into the to the past that's why i like about it like there's not a hey let's go let's go back in time and change the way my shitty life is yeah yeah, yeah. you know although i have heard a lot of stories about how this what this movie was before it was what we saw like the like the, this is where studio intervention was actually a good thing because hmm. there were a lot i don't remember all the bad stuff that huh. zemeckis and gail wanted to put in this but i've read the stuff about the original what they wanted to do and it was like oh my god it's just one of those things <laughs> good thing the studio actually intervened here and then of course you know there was also uh eric stoltz was gonna be well i was gonna tie that back to what you were just talking about where, where when you know because of circumstances harrison ford is sick today so let's <laughs> do this you know uh, we decided not to go with our first choice that we had actually spent several days shooting mm-hmm. like you can go on youtube right now and see the cafe scene with eric stoltz mm-hmm. which and it's weird yeah <laughs> but um you know their replacement actor would go on to make this his most iconic role yeah right and he was world famous already like family ties made him a star but this is what we're going to remember him for Mm -hmm. um and it's just it's so perfect for him how did eric stoltz ever get in that conversation (laughs) why did he leave oh i think they fired him oh they actually fired i don't think i think it was just not working the way they they, they realized it wasn't good yeah and and just said all right we're gonna and i think I think that there was a a point where they they actually wanted him, but Michael J. Fox couldn't get out of family time. Yeah, I think you're right. And then they found a way because remember his schedule. Think about what he did in 1985. He was still doing Family Ties. Mm-hmm. He did Back to the Future, and he also did Teen Wolf. Yeah. Somehow, some way, he was able to fit slide all these things in. <laughs> that's crazy, and it's an incredible story in <laughs> of itself. Um, but I think I think there was finally like a hiatus on Family Ties or something, or somebody got hurt, or this is like some one of those serendipitous things. Somebody got sick or something. They had to they had to shut down. <laughs> Michael Fam- Gross. It was Tina Yothers. <laughs> yeah, it was Tina Yothers. They had to shut down Family Ties, or or maybe it was just just got done, and they were like, "Ooh, well, we got him for twelve weeks. Let's get him in here." Um, but anyway, yeah, I mean that's what again, I you know I I just love the fact that they go he goes back by accident essentially. Then he has to sort of figure out sort of acclimate himself is this really happening like the like the first 10 like 10 minutes he's in the past is like uh, just a wake-up call the way he screams yeah. on that farm yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. well that's what getting at michael j fox uh michael j fox's comic timing in this movie is just absolutely killer yeah the way he sort of hesitates during his line readings and 
and uh, all of his like little like I mean even something as simple as the physical comedy where you know his mom comes in yeah. and and like seduces him and he keeps backing up and then finally falls off the bed and then like <laughs> Then uh, they're like, um, he, she's like, get your pants back on. And he's like getting the pants on. He still falls down from that. Um, it, it's just, it's really great. Like how all that guy, he's running into his, his, you know, his family back from 30 years ago. Yeah. And he's learning how they were back then. And, and uh, better get used to those bars, kid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and of course the, the way, the reason why they're at this particular date in history is because of doc putting it in this is the day that he learned time travel and everything and it's not because oh i wanted to go back to this certain time that's what i love about everything's organic about this Mm -hmm. and everything comes up comes about believably and then you know he he by not even thinking about it he sort of wrecks his time continuum and everything and he has to get his parents to do exactly what they did (laughs) back in the day to be born yeah and it's just a fascinating story to me i like the machinery of this like even starting with the opening shot of seeing doc's like barn or workspace or that kind of thing with all the the uh the the weird contraptions to feed the dog like it's not this is something that like the avengers movies or something like this could take you know from is it's not all like glitz and perfect and all that stuff like you can see the wires hanging out of like the the flux capacitor, and you can see like you know the time travel device looks like a aftermarket CD player that you would put in your car, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not it's not all like pristine, and that's perfect about it. He uses a fucking DeLorean, which never works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have a friend that has a DeLorean; it's always in the shop. Yeah, everything is exactly what you're saying, like very organic for a crazy time traveling movie that takes place in the 80s and the 50s. Yeah. It's completely organic. Yeah. Know. Oh, man. I saw this when I was 10. Mm-hmm. Um, perfect time for a little boy to see this movie. I, is this the most accessible time travel movie? I think uh, so. Probably so, yeah. I think so. And I think, I think the time travel movies that tend to work the best are the ones that don't spend any time explaining how the time travel works. Mm-hmm. It's just he invented it. It's a thing. It works. <laughs> now, what fun can we have with that? Yeah. Well, they even sort of, I mean, I would say almost sort of joke about how much they yada yada over the time travel because they're like the flux capacitor. It's what makes time travel possible. Yeah. <laughs> and then that's it. <laughs> well, and even Michael J. Fox says at the end, flux capacitor, fluxing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, what we have is, is, is essentially it's almost it's almost just a family comedy almost it is yeah and it's it's even though it's about a mom taking sexual advantage of her son yeah yeah dad being a peeping tom i'm not sure you could get away with that storyline today's world a dude hanging in a tree looking at a girl in her underwear probably not um it's 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 interesting it's as as futuristic and sci-fi as it is and all that it comes down to it this is about a guy who wants to get his parents back together Mm -hmm. yeah yeah. and uh and and he's got to deal with the challenges of that obviously that is you know is his uh his mom has the hots for him yeah you know? it's a challenge yeah it's a challenge <laughs> i mean she doesn't know that's his future son from 30 years from now yeah <laughs> you know what 
Christopher Lloyd, I don't think gets enough credit. Uh, he doesn't. Christopher Lloyd was on Taxi. Yes, he was. And he was already a famous actor. Yeah. But of course, my first introduction to him was Doc Brown. Yeah. And then I remember years later, my dad was watching a Taxi rerun, and I was like, it's Doc Brown! Yeah. And my dad was like, no, he's much more famous for this than for that. And I was yeah. like, not to me! He almost has like a, like a Kramer type of thing, just from his stature and like his facial expressions and things like that. But like, it kills me when he had the... First of all, when he when he does the model, he's like, "I apologize. This isn't necessarily to scale." Yeah, yeah. no, it's okay. It's, it's okay. not to scale or paint it. Is what he says. <laughs> I didn't have time to paint it. And then when uh, when the car jumps off and sets the thing on fire, he's like, <gasps> "Oh man!" Like he's his timing is on fire on this. Too. It is yeah. like that whole sequence when he first meets Marty and he's trying to use that read your brainwave thing. Like, do you know what this means? It means that this darn thing doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's always just a, they, the, both of those actors playing off of each other. Mm-hmm. is so rewarding all the way through it. And then, yeah, I mean, then we have that great Johnny be good thing. Yeah, that at the, yeah. end, the, the whole, like, you know, he's basically like, he has no time to do this. He has no time, but he wants to make sure that his parents get together. But he also wants to do, you know, he's got the, okay, the parents get together during Earth Angel, mm-hmm. but he doesn't have any time <laughs> to do this Johnny B. Good thing. And he does this and, uh, and like, it, it, it's like, oh, I have one shot to be a rock and roll star. <laughs> I'm going to do it. Well, because he got shot this... down by Huey Lewis in the 80s. <laughs> That's right. That's what I'm too saying. Too loud. You can't play at our dance. That's what I'm saying. He's like, he got shot down by Huey Lewis and he's like, I've got this one chance to be a rock star. I'm going to do it in front of this 1955 crowd <laughs> that's not ready for the Chuck Berry that's about to come at him. And, uh, but it's it's great how he does that. Like, that's a that's a tremendous scene. I, I could rewind that scene yep. over and over. How how crazy over the top he goes, especially when he gets on his back yeah. and he's like, <laughs> like everybody's looking at him. No, like, none of the rest of the band is yeah. even playing anymore. The, the drummer is the only one who's kind of like, fantastic movie. I don't know what else to say about mm-hmm. Back to the Future that hasn't been said. It's flawless. Uh, pretty much. And it goes up against the two towers, uh, which is a great movie and a great achievement in itself. The entire Lord of the Rings trilogy is an, an incredible, incredible achievement. That's the thing that I always, it, this doesn't, I guess this shouldn't mean anything to somebody who doesn't like Lord of the Rings or whatever, but I appreciate, even if, even if the movies were bad, I would appreciate how much work went into Lord of the Rings on the whole. You can see like all the just like planning and like, oh, I can't wait to mm-hmm. show you this type of stuff that's in those movies. And the Two Towers is got all of that. This trilogy is like crack to some people. And oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's so much. Jeremy was saying before that he was watching the nice guys over and over and there's a lot of layering to it and it makes him laugh every time. To be, and I'm not necessarily one of these people, to be like a huge Tolkien fan. And to be able to dig into this amount of content has got to just be like just catnip. Well, I said something earlier about um, which the fans that were rabid, the Indiana Jones fans that, were, that had passion, Tolkien fans. I'm not talking yeah. about movie LOTR. I'm talking about Tolkien fans. Mm-hmm. That may be the single most obsessed fan group. Well, you're talking about 50, 60 years worth of Tolkien there. That's like passed through generations already. Yeah. That's kind of like... 
that's like the old sports teams, you know. That's yeah, like yeah. you know Cub fans <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. You know, it's like that with Tolkien. My my roommate Andrew, um, about ten years ago, uh, when we were all single living in a house together, he was one of these Tolkien guys. So mm-hmm. he had read all the books. He read the freaking Cimmerillion. Mm-hmm. He played a Middle Earth Dungeons and Dragons game with us with multi sided dice and. We all made up characters and kept the scores over years. Every year we would give him for Christmas a Tolkien calendar. Uh-huh. Like that's how into Tolkien he was. <laughs> uh, and these movies, he adores them. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of why it's like crack to people is that it, they aren't just good movies. They they made three great movies that made changes significantly from the book that still hit that spot in the heart mm-hmm. for the Tolkien fans that have carried that around for 50 years. Like he managed to please both the mass audience and the fanboy audience. And that's freaking rare. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and I, and we, we obviously talked a lot about two towers when it had its play in game, but, uh, I'll go back to originally back in the day. I always heard this was just a bridge mm-hmm. to the two, uh, two greater Lord of the Rings movies. And I could not disagree more mm-hmm. on that. Um, I think the first one is obviously very good and, and it's, it's what sets up the story and everything. And the third one has all those emotional, like, you know, you finally, you know, got the ring there and all the different battles that are in it, uh, all the different rewards that happen and everything. It's, it's got, it gets all the glory, but the second movie has the most like stuff in it. That's. Like I think of of all the ones by themselves is the better movie. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I don't know that I have much more to say that I didn't say a few weeks ago when when it won its playing game. It just has the best of everything the trilogy has to offer, all concentrated in one film. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one's a little action light. The last one is a little action heavy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and not as much adventure. And uh, the middle one just has the perfect blend of everything. Um, but I don't. Boy, I'm I'm re- I'm willing to bet money on where this vote's going to go. Well, why don't you start it off? Am I the first? Yep. Back to the Future. Um, apologies uh, to our LOTR fan in the comments who has been pleased thus far. Now you will be angry because <laughs> I have chosen a time traveling DeLorean over the Hobbitses. Um, <clears throat> again, everything about what we're doing is absurd, <laughs> and I would never ask anybody to choose between these two movies, but. Because of when I came, when when Back to the Future came out, in terms of what age I was, I was right in the sweet spot of the probably the target demographic, uh, and because I believe it is nearly perfect. There's not any miscasting. There's not any. I know we recast a couple roles moving forward, but I don't think that's because anybody <laughs> yeah. in this one was bad. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone sort of makes their role iconic. Uh, there's at least I, between Biff and George and Marty and Doc. That's four pretty iconic characters yeah. that are quoted left and right. Right. Yeah. We. I don't know what to say. It's just, it, it's beloved to me. Except for Jennifer. Jennifer needs to be. Yeah. <laughs> needs more Elizabeth Shoup. Yeah. I, you know, I wish I was into anything as much as Lord of the Rings fans were into Lord of the Rings. I watched Two Towers, the extended edition, which I think is around four hours, four mm-hmm. and a half yep. hours, with a huge Lord of the Rings fan. And seeing it through his eyes was awesome. Oh, yeah. It was pointing out everything about this. And then this scene, they actually went on longer than even the extended edition. This is what's <laughs> going on with that. And I was like, that's really cool. And then, you know, it's it's, it's out of my brain uh, for the, the next time I watch it. Uh, Back to the Future, it's not even uh, it's not even a contest for me. The Back to the Future, man, is the reason I asked uh, 
how old you were when you saw it. I just showed it to my eight-year-old, you know, about six months ago. He just ate that shit up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that movie's from 1985. Yeah. He likes, you know, CGI cartoons and crazy shit and everything. This is like, you know, a, just a regular-ass movie from 1985. It hasn't aged. It It's not super dated. Um, I guess it's a function of the time travel, too, but... Uh, I adore it. That's that's my pick. I'm yeah. telling you, if you want your movie to age well, set it in the past or the far future. Yeah. Because you almost insulate for the movie feeling like it's aged yeah. when you do that. Yeah, that's true. That's absolutely true. Uh, no surprise, Back to the Future is going to take this. Um, I Not only did I watch this movie uh, back in 1985, I, I wa- when I got the video cassette, the VHS of this, I'll always, I'll never forget that I watched that for like two weeks straight. <laughs> like watched it every day. I was ten when I got the cassette, and um, and just watched it every day. And I know that movie back and forward like unlike any other movie yeah. I've ever run across. Were you like, a big Huey Lewis fan? Uh, back then, yeah, I am now. No, I'm just <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> well, aren't we all? Uh, I, I would. Think it was I would really with score that they came into their own. <laughs> <laughs> yes let's start doing the christian bale thing from american psycho it was when he came out with sports that, sports not yeah, score. Yeah. Well, the one before was four so oh, you okay. can buy. um but uh huey lewis i would say that i liked his music mm-hmm. i wouldn't say that at the time i was like i gotta have his albums and everything he does um well this the song from this movie was the biggest hit he ever had, right? Yeah. Oh, both of them. Yeah, Power of Love and then Back in Time was, mm-hmm. a, was a big hit, too. I was a big Huey Lewis fan. I'm just not sure I ever encountered him before this movie. Oh, really? I, and and when I was eight, I did not know that was Huey Lewis uh, at the beginning. Uh-huh. So, answer's no, I guess. Um, but I did, I, I mean, I, obviously, when you grow up through the 80s, you hear Huey Lewis in the yeah, news. Yeah. You hear all those songs, whatever, but... Yeah, I wouldn't say that. Man, was Marty and Band are rocking that version of Power of Love at that <laughs> audition. <laughs> They're pretty tight, man. I, I was I was always upset because they act at that audition as though he had just played the Johnny B. Good he plays in the fifties. Yeah. That's way over the top. But this mm. was just a really tight rock band. Yeah. But of course, again, in eighty five, regular rock was hard rock <laughs> to people who were over forty, I guess. What, I don't know. What's the name of their band? Oh, oh, the pinheads. The ah! pinheads. <laughs> I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I just remembered laughing. <laughs> because he's like all like, you know, he gets, hey, we're, we're the pinheads. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so Back to the Future moves on. And now we go to our two and 15. We have The Matrix, the number two. Ooh. And number 15, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Ooh. Um, These are like, Virtually identical movies. Yeah, exactly. They're so similar. Yeah, they are. <laughs> um, so, The Matrix, take it away, Jeremy. Best movie in the world ever. <laughs> Do you need me to say more? Um, no, I will say more. But this movie's been in the news lately because about a week ago it was announced that they were going to reboot or remake it. And I went on a just a rant on yeah. Twitter about how dare you do this. And of course, the next day, the writer. I think it was Zach Penn is on Twitter saying, uh, we're not remaking or rebooting anything. Uh, We would never do that. (laughs) And so now the speculation is with them talking to Michael B. Jordan, they might make that young Morpheus movie that I was talking about way back in the early podcast. Yeah, exactly. That would be amazing. I'd be down with that. Uh, The Matrix is a movie that excites all of my excitables. (laughs) 
if that makes sense. <laughs> Nipples, um, penis. Yeah. It's very rare that you can watch a Back to the Future style fun action adventure, but six hours later, you're still having really deep thoughts about the meaning of life and mm. uh, the meaning of existence to, to the point where even Elon Musk uh, of Tesla and SpaceX has said it's quite likely we're already living in a simulation like the Matrix. Uh and we just wouldn't have any way to know it. And I think those kinds of questions are fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, movie stimulates my brain, my balls, my nipples. I just I fucking love this movie. The action is inventive as hell. These guys created, they built equipment to make this bullet time thing kind of work that is now, you know, you see it at the fucking Super Bowl now and mm-hmm. they go around the stadium while a guy's making a catch. But at the time, we'd never seen anything like when Neo goes down on that roof. Um, and I think we take it for granted a little now because we've seen some wire foo CGI come since then that wasn't as cool. Well, we, I haven't watched this movie in a while, start to finish. Is it dated at all? Like the technological aspects of it, the effects? No, I don't think so at all because they went for such a grimy, gritty, dirty look, at least in the real world. Yeah, on the Nebuchadnezzar, what, yeah, yeah. their clothes are all dirty and grimy. And and I think they did a really good job of anonymizing the city that that the action takes place in. Mm. I, I famously talked about, you can see the old Nashville KDF building in that opening scene of Trinity running on the rooftops. Nah. But that's an amalgamated skyline of like five different cities because they went they went way far out of their way to try and make it feel like any city USA. Mm-hmm. I think for that reason, uh, it's not dated. Uh, not to me, at least. And I don't... Now, the sequels have some dated stuff with the CGI on Neo's yeah. face when yeah, he's yeah. doing the burly brawl and all that. But uh, not in this first one. I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, the first one, it's mainly about the bullet time. And... He, that that scene where he's he's bent over backwards uh you know dodging the bullets and everything is still great like it it may not be like the realist thing or anything but i don't think in this instance you need super realism or anything like you're supposed to have that feeling of like oh this is all happening in a millisecond basically right, right. but we're slowing it down a la you know what we saw later with uh, yeah. you know um quicksilver and yeah. all that um so so yeah i think yeah the sequels are really get bad where it's like rubber neo and all yeah. that other type of stuff happens in there because then they just they you know they're just blowing their wad on trying to make but it but in the first movie it's really humans they don't they're not putting cg characters in a fight scene right so that's true yeah so uh keanu had to train Mm -hmm. with you know agent smith to do their big subway fight which is probably my favorite movie moment in the whole movie if the whole movie's just been saying run Mm -hmm. these fucking agents will kill you run and because he's just had this experience with the helicopter and saving morpheus after everybody told him he couldn't neo stops and turns around and you're like he's gonna fight him oh my god he's not gonna run and i just from there to the end of the movie i'm just like yeah and i love how after he beats him once he's not stupid enough to fight him again he starts running after that i remember watching this uh also in theaters and the wachowskis were known for bound before this Mm -hmm. and and bound is a really really good indie with jennifer tilly and gina gershon um if you and like joey some pants. yeah and joey pants and if you like you yeah, some lesbian sex there's some good they do a good, have some of that a good, in there good, uh, but it's actually a crime caper kind of movie it is it is it's a it's a really good movie um i don't want to like you know 
whatever. Um, <laughs> but I remember when the Matrix came out and it was them behind it. I remember really getting into this when I first saw like the 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 big like overhead shot of like the like the gun shells falling down. Oh, yeah. And I was just like, I, I turned to whoever I was watching it with, and I was like, this is what happens when you give great directors a lot of money to make a movie. Now, the Wachowskis <laughs> really sort of fell off after yeah. this movie, which is crazy to me, like how much talent they showed in in The Matrix. And then like everything just sort of went downhill. Like either they started believing in their own bullshit or you know nobody could tell them no anymore. It's one mm. of those... It feels like one of those type of situations. Yeah, I agree. Nobody did you could... see Speed Racer? Nobody said no to anything. On <laughs> yeah, I did see Speed Racer, <laughs> indeed. Um, but uh, it it's completely involving all the way through it. It gets your like you know it gets your conspiracy theory uh, brain working, and I think that's the reason why like gen in general humans love conspiracies is because it's a great story, right? Yeah. What if what if we're just a batteries for aliens or whatever and that's that's all we are yeah and we have to somehow be saved from that you know uh or maybe nobody can save us from that um stuff like that and then just the just the idea that you can hook yourself up and learn kung fu yeah you know, like here download or this. how to fly a you know chinook helicopter <laughs> yeah. or whatever right that, it, that, all the stuff in this is not like you know like a stupid action movie would do where it's like hey, my dad used to fly helicopters. Right. And then they get in the helicopter and they fly it off. Yeah. Like, oh, is that your <laughs> only explanation? So, like, um, so yeah, like, those type of things are really exciting. And then, yeah, the the, the Neo fighting Morpheus scene is yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, especially, like, you always talk about how the dude runs down the hall and he's <laughs> Morpheus is fighting Neo. Right. Because if you picture these guys, room. they've been on this ship. This is why I'm interested in a young Morpheus. Uh, They've been on this ship in some combination of these players for years. Mm -hmm. And Morpheus is driven solely by the search for the one. And it's presumed or implied he got that prophecy 5, 10, 15 years ago. So imagine all that buildup, all those maybe he's the one, maybe he's the one, maybe he's to finally Morpheus, the guy you're following is like, I'm sure this yeah. is the one. And then you find out that guy's fighting Morpheus in the <laughs> dojo. Of course, you're going to be giddy and leave your food on the table and run to come see it. Um, but I think that's why The Matrix works is that even in 99 and especially today, the, the technological stuff that they're showing us is not that far fetched. Mm -hmm. um, the idea that we might soon one day be able to plug things into our brain and download them mm -hmm. is it's uh, not as far-fetched as you think well holy yeah. shit you just said that because i just saw a thing on vice last night that's talking about it was talking about how a lot of these people with par paralysis and everything are starting to get these like bionic arms and stuff yeah. like that and uh there was one guy on there who has a little like attachment on his brain that they can attach stuff to and like give him you know more Upgrade. information yeah upgrades and stuff like that. that's fucking computers awesome. can actually attach to his brain this this guy this guy in this was the first ever to be wow. paralyzed and then do something with his brain to be able to actually start moving his hands and stuff like that that's amazing it's uh, a fascinating thing if you ever just as a mm. tangent go and watch that vice news thing on that um uh but uh precisely to your point we're getting to that point where computers are able to talk with our brains yeah that's 
fucking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Even more reason to think we could already be in a simulation. Yeah. 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 And we wouldn't know it. We could be in a computer generated studio right now. Mm -hmm. What movie is this going against? It's going up against Fantastic Mr. Fox. Well, should we talk about that for a moment? We should. Now, <laughs> uh, the yeah, I mean, the problem is here's a great movie going up against a just a stellar like all timer. Yeah. Um, Fantastic Mr. Fox was never a big hit. It didn't. I don't think uh, probably a lot of the people listening right now haven't yeah. seen this movie. It's great. And I suggest you go see it. It's one of Wes Anderson's best. Mm -hmm. uh, fun animation. George Clooney and a great like, you know, voice role in this all uh, the silly swear words that yeah they use. Cuss. <laughs> so charming um there's a magic here for real yeah it's just <sighs> there's there's more magic in the matrix right i don't know i'm not yeah. trying to make up your mind for you i love fantastic mr fox yeah, it's, it's just one of those where it's a shame we have to put this up against something it's like great that. now i will say this even though i love fantastic mr fox it is one of the shortest movies that makes it feel longer and I don't know why. I don't know why that is. I'm entertained mostly throughout the whole thing, but there's something about it that makes me think I've seen a two-hour movie by the and it's an hour and fifteen something like that. Yeah, hour it's twenty really minutes. Short. There's something about it that makes me think I've seen a longer movie, and huh. I don't understand what that is. Well, I, because it it's kind of monochromatic. I mean, that's the the tweed mentality that or aesthetic that uh, that he's got. You know. Yeah. And. Even though the the characters are so animated and so beautifully shot and everything, um, it does kind of get almost like eye fatigue from seeing that much tweet. Yeah, yeah, and earth tones and shit like that. You know, well, they're underground a lot. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you you sort of like this is as tight as it gets too, pretty much. I mean, mm -hmm. the the humor in this is great. The, again, Wes Anderson's legendary uh, attention to detail is throughout all of this, and just you know. In an animated feature, the guy has even more control. Yeah. It's just crazy uh, how much. And um, I just love the audacity of the whole plan, too. The guy, <laughs> the guy has told, you know, he's he's been told by his wife, don't ever do this again. Then he gets caught doing it again. Uh, but once, you know, he he decides we're going to have to, we're going to rob all three of them in the same night, a la Ocean's <laughs> yeah. Eleven. Yeah um you know it, the uh, the audacious plan is great and then of course just him coming down and and telling everybody while they're having dinner we beat those guys we beat them good you know all this type of stuff i just love that audacity where he's like he's like i don't even i don't even care what the consequences are we beat those motherfuckers <laughs> um but uh but yeah it has to go against the matrix and uh, we can go ahead and do a quick vote on this the matrix think. The Matrix. The Matrix. The Matrix. The Matrix. Yeah, we should do that on purpose one time. <laughs> a little barbershop action. Yeah, do the, the Three Matrix. Stooges thing. Goodbye, my Matrix Island. <laughs> yeah, the B Sharps. <laughs> Baby, <laughs> boy. We, we we wanted to have a name that sounded funny when you hear it the first couple of times, and then isn't nearly as funny as. <laughs> All right, so one more for this one, and uh, we are doing the three and 14. The three seed is The Usual Suspects, Ooh. and the 14 seed is seven. Uh -huh. <laughs> Both of them from the same year, so we've obviously had this. Uh, we can do this quickly. Yeah. 
by the way. We've already had this. We've had this debate. Well, that's true. Yeah. Now we can talk about the movies briefly here. I remember if I'm if I recall, I voted seven. You guys voted the usual suspects. I think that's right. Yeah. Is there anything that's going to change that now? After like whatever, a couple of months. No, not for me. That's the only thing about this seating that's yeah. a little... I mean, we're going to have the same thing with, uh, I think, No Country for Old Men and... Um, was it? No. Is, there Will Be Blood. There Will Be Blood. Is that happening? Too? Yeah. Yeah, that's happening, too. Um, we can briefly talk about these and maybe even get into another one after this. All right. I don't think there's going to be any difference in the, in the voting. I would venture to say that the only person who would change his mind here would be me. Yeah. Uh, and, and we could just make usual suspects in a unanimous decision. Uh, what would have changed in the last two months? Not really anything other than mm. the fact that you're on a balancing beam when you're fucking deciding right. between these two movies. Uh, the Usual Suspects uh, is one of the all-time great surprises. We talked about uh, how the prestige may have let let it surprise on too early mm-hmm. uh, because the Christian Bale and the you know him being in that makeup and everything sort of like detract a little bit from it when you finally find out oh they're twin brothers the mm-hmm. entire time. The Usual Suspects is there anything in that that gives it away? No, early, no, and it saves it until the very goddamn end. It's yeah. not even well, like. In fact, it gives you a false surprise ending. Yeah, yeah. That I I remember watching this in theaters and going, oh, Dean Keaton's Kaiser Soze. Yep. Like hair standing up on end that Dean Keaton could be him. Yeah. And and then like him walking out and everything, you're like, okay, that's kind of, that's what, I guess Dean Keaton was Kaiser Soze. Until he starts seeing now the, of course, this is the big plot hole. He sees all this stuff on the board. Yeah. Apparently, Kevin Spacey was able to see this yeah. stuff on the board that, you know, come on, he didn't see all this shit. Um, <laughs> ah, we had to give Chaz Palminteri some way to realize it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Without that, then there's no whammy. There was one thing about Usual Suspects. I believe there's a part, and I haven't I haven't gone back to look at this or anything, but the Kobayashi thing, I think, is a big plot hole, too, because the Kobayashi name is on the, is on the coffee mug. Uh-huh. I believe there's a part when they're outside of the room from verbal that they talk about the lawyer Kobayashi is doing this at the whatever. They're talking about the lawyer uh, on the outside. And but w- that wasn't part of the recollection? That he made up the name, right? He made yeah, up yeah, the name yeah, on yeah. the coffee uh-huh. When they go outside the room and he's talking to Giancarlo Esposito and all them, they mention Kobayashi the lawyer. Oh, interesting i believe that's a plot hole in the movie now of course you know there there's a lot of in that movie you can say well is it real or is it Uh fiction that type of thing so there's never really any way of knowing but i've always there's all that there's that one moment where they i think they talk about kobayashi the lawyer and it's a made-up name. Yeah, yeah. And it maybe, just happens to be the actual. Name yeah, the maybe. Lawyer. Yeah, maybe. I think you could make an argument <laughs> that Kobayashi's Kaiser Soze, if you wanted to, and mm. Kevin Spacey's just his right-hand man. There's there is an argument about that. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I don't think they've they've intentionally haven't said one way or another. Um, Kevin Spacey certainly, um, and that would make a little bit of sense. Yeah, you know? I mean that would be a perfect play for Kaiser Soze to to essentially act as his own attorney and yeah. hide in broad daylight. No, it's genius. Yeah. It's genius. He's Meanwhile, a genius. This is a great movie. This is, uh, Brian Singer had made, uh, public access before this. I believe that was the mm. movie that he made before that. 
but this is essentially, I, I would say this is mostly his debut, even though public access has its fans or whatever. But, um, but the, for me, this is, this movie becomes great during the elevator scene when they're like, you know, they're, they're trying to get to Kobayashi the whole the whole thing where it's like it becomes dark and you hear the yeah, yeah. Or whatever and all that that th- there i remember listening to the uh, commentary on this and singer was talking to mccory and he's like he's like man when we put this together i was like i was like did we do this <laughs> this is such a great scene like i like i can't believe how great this is and everything i'm like yeah it's it's amazing it's a great scene yeah anyway seven. Oh, i love it i love it and by the way, we're both we're talking about two movies with Kevin Spacey reveals, yes, which is odd. Uh, I think that reveal in Seven is just as good um, as any other reveal. Yeah, detective. Yeah, yeah because mm. you're not looking for a reveal. Mm-hmm. You're not expecting necessarily to ever meet this character and if you do he'll either be dead or some no-name actor mm-hmm. you're certainly not expecting kevin fucking spacey yeah um and in you know in this age of the internet that would never be a secret going into the movie anymore you would know they would be marketing the movie on the fact that and kevin spacey but, as what? the killer yeah you know what here's here's what's fucking with me that on on that though how great of a reveal is this if it's not kevin spacey like if it's if it's any other actor, if it's like a no name actor or whatever, then we don't get that same kind of thing. And Spacey, remember, wasn't exactly household by that by that. I mean, Usual Suspects had come out. I wouldn't say it was a gigantic hit when it no. came out. Spacey himself really had like this eh, had a decent career. I think spanning back to like Working Girl or whatever, up to this point. I don't know. He was in a bunch of movies in 95. He was in the outbreak and he was mm-hmm. in swimming with sharks and all that. But, uh, the only reason for me that the Kevin Spacey reveal is so amazing is because I had seen usual suspects mm. and I had always connected those two movies in a weird way because of that, because even though he's not playing Kaiser Sose in seven, I always considered that almost like almost a, a continuation thing. I saw. I had the same experience where I saw it. Maybe I, I don't remember how close they were when they well, came out. Well, the Usual but. Suspects, I believe, came out here. Like it had. I may have been out in uh, L.A. and New York, like mm-hmm. for the summer. Or I'm pretty sure in like Nashville, it was like August when it mm-hmm. came. Out. Seven came out in October. Yeah, yeah. So it was really close. Yeah, you were almost very primed close. for that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, in fact, the other thing, and I heard this from somebody who had seen Seven. He watched it with a friend of his who had not seen it. Like it came out in 95 and this conversation I had with this person probably happened, I don't know, 12, 13 years after the movie had come out. And he said, I watched it with a friend and he said he guessed it was Kevin Spacey. That's probably the reason why it's good that he wasn't well known back then. Right. Mm. He guessed it was Kevin Spacey because of the stairwell scene. Where he he says, "Hey, I got a right to be here and all that." That's Kevin Spacey, obvious like obvious Kevin yeah, Spacey yeah. now, when that you know so much of his work and everything. Um, so it's an interesting reveal. Like it's, I feel like it's all contained within 1995. That being a great reveal, yeah. like uh, you not knowing who it is, you have to. And I still think you have to have Usual Suspects in your head when you watch yeah. this. I don't know. Maybe maybe people who had not seen Usual Suspects and saw that, they were still surprised or they were delighted in some way. 
maybe it maybe like people who are catching up on these movies now like you know the younger generation who yeah. wasn't around maybe they are excited when they see kevin space <laughs> maybe they had seen glenn gary glenn ross and they're like yeah yes. <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh it's just an interesting thing to think of yeah anyway uh vote's gonna go to the usual suspects yep and uh we'll go on to the next one all right let's do it uh the four seed empire strikes back against the 13 seed boogie nights yeah Hmm. the four seed empire strikes back uh the, obviously still the best star wars movie i think so yeah uh there might be some force awakens apologists out there who think that it usurped. might even be some rogue one apologists out there Ugh, yeah uh, they're wrong yeah i'm telling you they're, they're they're out there they're they're wrong i agree uh what do you have in this movie you've got hoth mm-hmm. you've got cloud city mm-hmm. you've got the carbonite scene you've got the i am your father uh you've got the 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 hand cutting off the mm-hmm. the god-awful no yeah. uh you got billy d i mean you right. got like everything in this movie it's fucking amazing it's so you got dagobah i didn't even mention dagobah. i know it's so solid man yeah this uh, empire strikes back is so solid like it is such a grown-up like i as much as i like a new hope it's such a grown-up departure from that first movie yeah um when it's so stark the differences i remember when being a kid it didn't matter you know you just empire strikes back and all it's just another you know i probably said the same thing about empire strikes back as people said about two towers "Eh, that's a bridge movie yeah um but empire strikes back is just so good so like so well like everything looks better everything everybody's acting better in it yeah uh the story is so much better i think it's because there's more stakes to it yeah you know like the the mood has been like dialed up another few notches because yes you have the destruction of alderaan and everything in the first one you see like you know how evil these people are but like you said jeremy like the the fight between Vader and, and Obi-Wan is just, you know, waving their limp dicks at each other, yeah. basically. Basically. Mm-hmm. Um and and here you've got like this ominous dread over everything, starting with the ice planet. And you got Luke getting fucking attacked by a taunt or uh is it Tauntaunt? No, well, it, the it's basically a yeti yeah basically yeah, 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 the yeah. abominable like snowman the abominable snowman yeah we're gonna get corrected that on comments right. but uh yeah i mean you get him he's his face is all fucked up from an actual accident that he had right like a motorcycle accident or oh, a car in accident. real life yeah so he actually is worse for wear mm-hmm. uh when he when he does this so like just everything is a little bit like more serious but not in a non-fun way i mean you get the whole yoda thing the introduction of yoda yeah. is one of my all-time favorite introductions where he's got this you know what is it the the charlie chaplin like you know walking yeah. like an old man and then and know. what happened to that yoda by the way I like <laughs> after he plays with luke and like has all this playful nature and everything that motherfucker never once cracks a joke no, or does anything <laughs> he's so goddamn like he's one of, he's not a character you care about at all by the time the <laughs> the prequels come along yeah. and everything oh he, he yeah exactly his his character introduction is great uh the the scene in the forest when he runs into the you know the his basically his demons basically and it's darth vader and he he slashes him and he sees his own face and darth vader's helmet and everything okay i got a real problem with that scene yeah what the fuck is that scene <laughs> well what the fuck is that is that like the force magic funny. is this an enchanted it's part funny of the that force? you say that because we send this by the way oh yeah, oh, yeah <laughs> we right. send this in the empire strikes back <laughs> 
because Yoda says over there is a force of evil, and I'm like, there's just some fucking evil sitting around <laughs> on Dagobah. There's just a for- like a fucking like this is the evil it's like, it's like a territory of evil. <laughs> they have their own constitution. Um, they, uh, but it's supposed to be him facing his own fears. Yeah, it's that's what it that's what it is. No, I understand your that, weapons. But- you will not need them. It means basically you're going in there to face yourself. It's 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 uh, it's it's nega uh, Luke basically. Yeah, from Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, I just have never understood because I don't think there's ever been another time where there was a, a literal hallucination that is that is prompted by the force. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no consequence to that. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's but just it his does brain. show him where his where his future lies yeah should he kill his father with it with just anger in his heart yeah so that's what it's all about no i yeah but i agree what yeah. the fuck is that scene right <laughs> there's a territory of evil on Degaba. uh there's just like it's just sitting there just hanging out like a swamp exactly um uh, but anyway, yeah, it's got so many iconic scenes in it. So mm-hmm. many, it's just, it's great. It's action packed and it ends on, even though it's kind of got that hopeful tip end of it yeah. or whatever, it's it ends on a dour note. Yeah, it does. And you know what? I, I hear a lot of people say that it, that it doesn't really end or that it ends on a cliffhanger. That's a fucking lie. Right. It ends with the big battle. It's just that the good guy didn't win. Yeah. yeah. The bad guy won. Mm-hmm. And then the good guy will win next time and make it all that much better. Uh, but uh, I, I get annoyed when people talk about Empire as just a bridge movie or say it doesn't have a beginning, middle, and the end. I do wonder why this movie is so much more adult. Because it's sandwiched in between two of the most cheesy, kid-friendly Star Wars versions because after this, we go back to eat. It's like mm-hmm. he only had the patience to go to dark adult emotions once. And then we had to go back to happy Ewok la la la. <laughs> well, I think it comes down to who's behind it. Again, we're talking about Lawrence Kasdan mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Kasdan it was a guy who made his career writing adult oriented sure. stuff. You know, the big chill and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, Grand Canyon. Grand Canyon. Um, that's Grand Canyon reference for you. Right? That's right. Grand Canyon's <laughs> not a bad movie. No, I liked it. Not bad. <laughs> um, but he he did that, and then he got they got the director Irvin Kershner who like yeah. like go on and do RoboCop, uh, RoboCop two, I think. Uh, but he Irvin, I mean they they got people who weren't Lucas essentially. Right. Yeah. Um, that's the magic of star wars yeah. <laughs> thanks george we got Get it from the creator the, the, no the, they knew back then after the first star wars the the first star wars they had to say no to him so many times about things he wanted to do in that movie that i think they just said could you not be the director in this one you'll still be yours yeah but can you just we let other people do this? Here's your paycheck. Yeah, exactly. You're going to be very, very wealthy. Don't worry about it. Um, but I think they got I got I think they got these guys to come in and sort of shape it and say, here's Lucas's ideas. We're going to take out the bad ones and put in keep the good ones mm-hmm. and then punch it up. And that's what how Empire turns out to be so starkly different. Yeah. We think we forget about that with those older Star Wars movies is that Lucas didn't direct that one or Jedi. Jedi wasn't, yeah. you know, Jedi's still good. It's just, you know, it's not Empire. It's a yeah. completely different set of people on Return of the Jedi. Right. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but yeah, I think they decided we're gonna we're gonna get some people who know you know know what they're doing here, and we're gonna make this movie, and it turns out to be great. Also, uh, may go a long way to saying uh, studios might be right, quote unquote. It made the least money out of all those Star Wars. Yeah, um, that's because there wasn't any bikini scenes or shit. It's true. Sometimes, like. This is what's going to happen if we ever do the podcast live. Isn't going to say one of those things and we won't be able to take it out. No. Nope. Won't be well, able to take it back. 500 people will have just heard me say it. Everybody will be fine. But you're also right. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because Jedi and even the first Star Wars just dialed up the 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 visually friendly thing and not not going for a tone or a mood. It was going for Ewoks and bikinis instead mm-hmm. of, you know, actual like meat on the bone adventure you know yeah no i agree it's good what's it going up against it's going up speaking of meat on the bone boogie nights yeah oh talking about chicks and bikinis got an ass in her cock in the driveway (laughs) that's right (laughs) talking about chicks and bikinis and in less (laughs) um a stellar cast here oh boy mark Wahlberg uh wasn't exactly mark Wahlberg at that point he had shown he had some chops and stuff like fear and uh, mm. the Basketball Diaries. But when I saw that he was the lead in this, I was like, eh, no. And Paul Thomas Anderson wasn't a household name either. Nope. Um, he still he sure got a lot of rope to make this movie, though, didn't he? He did. I kind of wonder Well, why. New Line Cinema did not give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, New Line Cinema was doing Mortal Kombat, and, you know, they were doing these, like, th- these small but profitable movies yeah. and everything i think they had money to play with because they're warner brothers anyway i mean they're uh, warner brothers subsidiary anyway he probably um, also got like burt reynolds or somebody big attached early yeah to line up the other cast and the funding famously gonna be in it famously burt reynolds doesn't like this movie i don't you know what some people are just cranks yeah he thought it was too He's he thought it went too far with he the thought- nudity I think with all the stuff that was in it. He, well, he's in several of those scenes. He is. Yeah. I, 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 I'm not saying his reasoning makes any sense. This but. is a portrait of of that period. It has to be. I mean, like, you've heard of things on porn sets that are much well, worse than what, what has been shown Paul here. Tom- yes, absolutely. Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, from what I understand, probably watched the most porn of anybody to, watch, to make this movie. <laughs> It's research, baby. Oh, yeah. I mean, but you know what? You know what? We laugh. I guarantee you he watched this with the utmost seriousness. Oh, oh I'm, I'm sure. sure. I'm sure he's he like did. taking like, notes. And I bet that's it. hilarious in itself. If you weren't able to get a shot of Paul Thomas Anderson watching porn and he's just sitting there taking notes it's and probably shit. Porn is, is meaningless to him. Now yeah, yeah, he's yeah. He's seen it differently. He's seen too much. But he went through and he re- he read about all the ones, you know, John Holmes uh, and uh, whoever the uh, Debbie does Dallas and mm-hmm. all. He did all these. He did all this research to make this movie um and and uh so he fills it with all these characters man they're just like there's so many like this is why these movies are great they'll throw in like the uh, a character like the the, the robert ridgely ca- character uh-huh. or whatever who's who's an awful human being oh yes he start he, it, it starts off where you're like oh this guy's a lovable like you know just kind of a pervert or whatever yeah. oh, he's way worse than that yeah um but 
he has the moment at the beginning that's just hilarious where he's like uh where it is uh, around here that you have a really big cock <laughs> and uh and and, and walmart's like walmart's looking at him and he's like, may i see it <laughs> he's like yeah sure and then originally looks down and then he looks back up with the same smile on his face he's like Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the movie does a great job playing up the size of this cock. They mm. almost don't need to show it at the end. Yeah. I get why they do, but the movie has already established this cock's lore. When <laughs> it, and I don't, I don't need to personally see it at the end. But from the opening scene when he's bussing tables at that restaurant mm -hmm. and Roller Girl blows him or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, which is a crazy scene, by the way, because first of all, I don't care how good looking you are, like a random girl coming up to you and I don't think they even say anything. Like she whispers into his ear or something like that. And they go back to the, the thing. She blows him. Then when he goes back to uh, to Burt Reynolds place and everything is like roller girls like, are we going to fuck? And he's like, oh, yes. And she goes over and like, he seems like he's surprised that she wants to fuck him when she's already like giving him a blowjob. Uh, yeah. I think, I think it's more of the situation. There's a guy sitting in the room going to watch them. Oh yeah. I guess. Uh, more than any, more than any of that type of thing. Um, but you know, aside from the obvious thing in boogie nights, okay. Yeah. We're talking about porn here. This is a, a fantastic look at the so-called alternate family, basically. Yep. Yeah. Where there are people who are, it's a collective of people who uh, care for each other. And it's, it's not, they're not related, but they might as, they almost are. Uh, Amber Waves basically plays the mom of the, mm -hmm. of the whole thing. And you have Jackie, Hor Jackie Horner, Jack Horner, who's, I get Jack Horner and Jackie Treehorn. Yeah. yeah. The Big <laughs> Lebowski Big has Lebowski. some connections to Boogie Nights. It's kind of funny. But uh, but Jack Horner, it, it was the father figure, and um, and so it's it's kind of a, an interesting dynamic when you start thinking of it in those terms, and you think about the first scene that Dirk and Amber have their have their sex scene and mm -hmm. everything. It's it's kind of incestuous, yeah. Definitely. And as they as they keep going along and having the same co stars and everything like that, it's kind of like he's banging his sister here yep. and all this other type of stuff. But it's it's to to get around all of that, it's a great look at you know. Uh, just a collective of people who would care for each other and i, I think i do love that thing. one moment and what i love i mean i don't love it when it's like a montage and it's trying to show how good at sex and porn mark Wahlberg is but it's got him and roller girl on the bed and he's turning to burt reynolds and he's like well we can just turn her over and go right into doggy style and they're like oh yeah, 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 like, yeah. no one's ever done that before. right right come on oh, and he's got like his his moment like his his star making moment where like yeah accidentally like climaxes inside julian moore and he's like jack i can do it again yeah 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 and he's no, like, no you oh, can't well, maybe uh, in an hour you can yeah <laughs> human body is not gonna let you do it again this, this i don't quick. know i think that's something that a lot of those guys those porn stars can do i yeah i think so it's I think like the, the people that can eat 50 hot dogs yeah you know? there's some there's some weird uh penis wizardry going on there <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I love this movie. Uh, this is an epic. It's mm -hmm. told over maybe yeah. 10 years time, maybe less. Yeah, it's about, it's about around, it's around eight. that time. Stretches because from the 70s got, into the 80s. It's got its, it's got its early, you know, uh, before he's a star, then the big glory days, and then obviously the fall off the cliff. Yeah, the fall from Greece. Um, John C. Riley is hilarious in mm -hmm. this movie. 
Oh my God! This is where you first really noticed John C. Riley could be a comic actor. Yeah, he was oh, in Boogie yeah. Nights. Um, just from the very opening scene where he's talking about how much he benches. Yeah, and all he bench. that. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, but. Uh, I I love that other stuff too, where they like they're trying to get this recording yeah. or whatever, and it's like uh, trying to get the tapes to this label or whatever, and it's like it sounds like an MP, not a, no, a YP, not an MP, <laughs> and it was, it was like look look look, look I, I don't know what this YP MP whatever they need, what, I don't know this industry jargon, we just need the tapes, man, you know, they're all he and Mark Marky Mark are so deluded in this movie, yeah, like about everything about mm-hmm. how good their music is mm-hmm. when they start making serious porn movies about brock landers right right <laughs> they're so proud of that like they actually made a real film and they're just that almost everyone in this movie is living in a diluted sort of reality but these two are the most far gone as far as i'm concerned oh yeah mm-hmm. for sure that's uh, that is crazy how they think they think also that their stuff is not misogynistic right as long as it's like got this sort of like i don't know it's so weird like like they're like we're gonna do something that's sexy and like doesn't treat women bad but there's like they're slapping them around oh, yeah, yeah, and all yeah, yeah. sort of stuff uh yeah it's kind of crazy but um yeah this movie is just fantastic and and and, and paul thomas anderson he had he had only done hard eight before this oh yeah and yeah. uh I, and by the way uh i think i briefly mentioned hard eight uh in another podcast go watch that movie that's mm-hmm. a really it's pretty good it's a really good small movie is gwyneth paltrow john c Riley's in that yeah. samuel l jackson philip baker hall uh so this is the he he took on a really big project here like yeah. just a couple of years after heartache all right so empire strikes back or boogie nights wow wow i think f- uh, a, i think it's me is it you yeah okay heresy boogie nights mm. wow okay I we talked about this movie for I don't know how long. We didn't even mention Philip Seymour Hoffman or yeah, Don Cheadle. I know who are both unbelievable in this thing. Yep. And the the ability or William H Macy, except for just a, a brief comment. I mean, the ability of Paul Thomas Anderson to wrangle these enormous casts, like he did in Magnolia, like he did here, like he does to a certain extent in The Master later on, Inherent Vice is just unparalleled. I it's it's amazing that he can get nuanced performances. Luis Guzman, like all these little things. Yep. He cuts to Julianne Moore when they when the kid calls on the phone, he cuts to Julianne Moore's face mm-hmm. and it's just this this kind of resolute like sadness but still numbed. And to get that in the middle of this huge party yep. scene where people are showing cocks to each other and you getting sex everywhere. That's my shit. Love it. I love Empire Strikes Back, but Boogie Nights hits a note for me that it, that is a clearer note than Empire Strikes Back. You're it's right. a silly. It's a silly comparison. Well, you're right. Uh, th- we and we didn't mention him. Yeah, you're right. Don Cheadle. The thing about is him in this movie is how much he affects you just by staring. Mm-hmm. There are several. There are two moments, and they're both completely different situations where he's just kind of staring. And that it tells you everything. Mm-hmm. One is when his girl has gone off with the other guy. He's never like, I guess he's already in sort of a breaking down relationship. And then this dude comes in and he's like the cock of the walk or whatever. And mm-hmm. he's amazing and steals her from him and everything. And he's at that party and he's in dressed up in that like Egyptian, whatever the fuck <laughs> it is. And he's just staring out just kind of like, mm, you know, just yeah. like, 
And and then another one when the the donut shop yep. where he's staring at the money. Yeah. After the bank has already told him he can't get his loan, and that's a great scene too. But after that really crazy donut shop scene where a guy's just trying to steal the money from the donut shop and everybody dies yeah. and he's got that money in there and he's just sitting there with blood on his face and he's just kind of like and then the next thing you see he's opened up his record yep, store yep, yep, and yep. everything it's great stuff although i do think he was slightly better in hotel rwanda <laughs> he is he is he is nothing can top that um, uh, slightly is it my turn it is, yes um there's there's no good way to go about this i'm gonna go with the iconic here and go with empire strikes mm-hmm. back um and it's actually this is actually a tough decision if you were to throw two blu-rays in front of me and say empire or boogie night yeah Ooh. right do you the thing about empire is do you want to watch Empire straight up without seeing A New Hope first? Even if you've watched, even if you know those movies back and forth, would you watch Empire uh, just by itself? I would. I like watching I think Empire. You, I think, I, think yeah. I would too. Um, and that's why I think. Uh, I mean, with all the yeah, with all the iconic that's going on there, but Boogie Nights also has its own iconic moments. Yeah, and the performances certainly draw you in better and everything. Only thing about Boogie Nights that's really bothered me, I think that the structure of this movie is so much like Goodfellas that mm. it's somewhat derivative of Goodfellas, even though it's got its own thing going on. Yeah. But you remember, Goodfellas is kind of that same thing. Uh, Henry Hill and Goodfellas, young kid, yeah. he's not a part of the gang, he gets accepted into the gang. Then there's a high point where they go through all the, the Latanza scene, all this other type of yeah. stuff, and then he goes into drugs. Yeah, yep. Boogie Nights is the same thing, mm-hmm. and it's always even though the and that and that sort of that fall down uh, at the end, uh, especially when there's like all the different stories going on there when they're at the lowest of their low and everything has always been a little bit of a letdown as far as story for me too is concerned. Another hollow, hollow criticism. It doesn't. Yeah, no, I know what you're saying. That that low, of course, the the worst is in the truck where the guy yeah. like, wants him to beat off for him, but it's it's buffered uh for me because of the alfred molina scene. yeah yeah like that's just so great well, and thomas jane another kinda, great yeah. little moment yeah. in there we're gonna go in the safe and get the fucking money the fucking safe we're gonna get them and he's so intense in that um i think i like boogie nights more than any other paul thomas anderson movie really i know you guys said last last week or the week before that there will be blood you think is his best mm. And I need to see that more before I can really say, but this would be my favorite. Mm-hmm. It's got one of the best montages ever, ever. But I'm going Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. It hurts. Yeah. It hurts a little bit, but you got to do what you got to do. Empire yeah. Strikes Back is maybe the only Star Wars movie, at least of the first six, that I think is a film. Mm-hmm. And I hate distinguishing between films and movies, mm-hmm. but it's that adult tone that uh, layered emotions that were allowed to feel like lando has always been a fascinating character to me because he's both a good guy and a bad guy yeah. and all in the span of about 20 minutes and that seems to be what he's been his entire life yeah, yeah. right you may be able to trust him this time you may not there's all these layered subtle character depths and interactions and again that probably can't exist without a new hope but uh it's just it's too classic it's too good it's too solid uh empire all the way in 
I wouldn't have been upset if Boogie Nights went on, by the way. That's one of those where you're just like, it's sort of, it's just a teetering type of thing. Yeah. I surprised myself by how easy it was. I mean, I, I fucking love Empire, but I just, Boogie Nights is up there. With, I don't know, man. Paul Thomas Anderson is just my, right in my strike zone. Yeah, he you is. You have some weird strike, like you're a big Woody Allen guy uh-huh. and a big Paul Thomas Anderson guy, and those two guys have almost nothing in common. Yeah, that's true. I just think that you're diverse in your taste. That's right, baby. I'll just uh, I'll paint it that way. All right. Uh, so that'll be it for today. We'll probably, probably finish this up. <laughs> the next podcast. That's and then right. we'll be able to go into the next rounds. Anyway, let's go to some Q&A. Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. Okay. What is the best comedic death mm. in movie history? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot uh, that's an interesting question because you, you have these dramatic deaths and mm-hmm. you have these things that, you know, are plot points and everything. But what are some good comedic deaths? Um, I'll go first. Um, White Boy Bob and Out of Sight. <laughs> nice. Now, White Boy Bob entertains me greatly, uh, mostly just at that final heist because he gets derailed by stakes. <laughs> and he carries an armful of stakes up to the bedroom where the safe is like, check it out. Got all these stakes. <laughs> anyway, so he's the one that eventually finds Clooney and holds him at gunpoint and yells to Snoopy Miller, I got him. I got Foley. And he starts run he's a big, huge fat guy. He starts running up the stairs, trips, falls, and shoots himself through the chin and dies right there on the step. Shocking. To the point where Clooney like bats an eye for a few seconds, like, did that just happen? Yeah. Uh, so that was that was the first one that came to mind when I heard I don't know if that's in all of time, but that's probably one of my favorite ones. Because you're not expecting it at all. Yeah, exactly. Um I'm going to go with Vitruvius in the Lego movie. Nice. Oh, yeah. um, nice. The, it's it's great because it's it plays on stuff like, you know, the you know, the Yoda scenes and stuff like that where <laughs> somebody has got one last thing they've got to say to somebody before they die and they get it all out except for some details <laughs> here it's morgan freeman and he's like you know you gotta tell you something that is the most important thing you've ever heard and then suddenly he's got x's over his <laughs> eyes and he's dead and uh i do want to mention one other one because it, i don't think it's supposed to be funny mm-hmm. but john travolta in the remake of the taking of pelham one two three <laughs> has a moment in that movie where denzel uh, has to kill him or he kills him and kills Denzel. I think mm-hmm. it's something like that. But Denzel kills him and John Travolta, just before he dies, turns to Denzel and he's like, you're my goddamn hero. And he falls, <laughs> falls dead. And I, and I, I laugh my fucking ass off in a scene that's probably supposed to be serious. Then it wasn't serious. Well, I almost went with the, uh talia from dark knight rises yeah that would that would that would count uh you know from the the original buffy the vampire slayer movie um there's not a whole lot that people really like about that movie i think it's got some good nuggets in there Mm -hmm. and one is paul rubens uh the erstwhile peewee herman uh is stabbed with a stake Mm -hmm. and normally you know vampire will you know die with that and for whatever reason, you know, he's old and he's ornery and everything, but he's like, ah, ooh, yeah, ooh, ah, yeah. <laughs> and then, like, and you're like, oh, okay. And then he collapses. And then it cuts back to him. He's like, oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> and then you're like, 
starts stomping on the stair and he's like god damn that hurts and I think at the very end of the movie like right before the credits it's still with him (laughs) (laughs) oh it's funny as hell all right oh let's do one more which villain do you most identify with and which hero do you least identify with they can be from different movies or the same movie I like this question it's a good one yeah I uh I've mentioned this guy before. I don't know why the Green Lantern comes up. The movie's <laughs> terrible, okay? But Hector Hammond, Peter Sarsgaard. Yeah. I relate to him more than anybody. And I don't know if the movie meant to do this mm-hmm. with his character. His character, I believe, is set up to be, we're supposed to hate this guy once he's the once he's the villain and everything. But the guy has absolutely zero to do with being a villain. Now, he does kind of creep on blake lively in the movie and we're supposed to be like okay he's kind of a creep he's a loner and everything and like his dad tells him to go and and check out this like mummy or whatever the fuck it is and it it sprays some evil into him (laughs) (laughs) and he becomes the disgusting monster that he becomes in that movie and then once he and, and yeah he's he's a villain at that point but like he he gets killed and it's supposed to be like this amazing moment like oh they finally did away with that guy he was such a dick <laughs> but he he didn't do anything yeah. he was he was very much just to himself and his dad didn't like him and he told him to do this thing that he wasn't being like doc ock yeah where like i have to do this i have to get the funding i have to do yeah. this and whatever he was forced to do this and he gets infected anyway I, there's the reason why I don't think the movie thinks of him this way, and I think it's an accidental uh, identify with type of thing, mm. is that when he dies, there's nothing. There's nothing about how tragic that is. <laughs> and it's just it's just basically, he's dead. Good. <laughs> Fuck him. Um, my hero that I don't identify with is Batman. Oh. That's a good one. Um. I, of course, love Batman, Uh but I have a hard time with the fact that this kid is so rich and his parents are so beloved and he's got Alfred that after his parents' death, he couldn't find any solace whatsoever with all that money, all those friends, and Alfred. <laughs> and he's so obsessed with getting criminals, uh, you know, giving them their due just desserts and everything, <laughs> that he decides to take on this bat persona. He's yeah. got, he happens to have a makeshift bat cave yeah. in this backyard. <laughs> um, uh, none of that type of obsession. I, I, I can relate to obsession on some level. But I can't, I can't, not on this. Yeah. Something that's like 30 years festering in you. Like you, you're, you blame yourself that much for your parents' deaths that just because you wanted to leave early or some, whatever the fuck the story. <laughs> that you have to see it over and over yeah, and over. Whatever the fuck over. the story is that they're telling nowadays yeah. is whether it's his fault or not. Yeah. You know, the, the, the Nolan ones made it clear that it was his fault. Like he, <laughs> you know, you know, he, he wanted to leave early, that asshole. Stupid fucking <laughs> kid <laughs> and down a dark alley. Yeah, exactly. But uh, the, the other ones don't really. He is not, he's never involved, really. He's like the in the first, ba- the Michael Keaton Batman. 
he they just uh, they just happened to be walking in the wrong place at the wrong time and then in the batman v superman one it's the same thing it just happened to be walking in the wrong place at the wrong time so there's really no like guilt yeah. i feel like there that's why i think no one put the guilt stuff in so that it would be a little bit more relatable but i still even after that after the support that you have yeah fuck you <laughs> get over it good call uh, my villains that I uh, identify with are the machines in the Matrix movies. Mm. Really? And the reason is they're they're not doing anything that's outside of their nature. Mm. Mm-hmm. They were ostensibly created by humans to be the way they are. And through technological AI evolution, uh, came to a logical conclusion that humans uh, were inferior and were not needed for us. And uh, I feel like... That's why I almost went with Jaws, <laughs> yep. because Jaws isn't doing anything outside of his nature. Yeah, that's true. Um, and honestly, they start fucking with that guy so much when they go out there on that boat, the three of them, you almost can't blame him for coming after him repeatedly. And <laughs> so um, it's, it's always been very hard for me to think of the machines in the Matrix as evil. And even in, even the films show you by the end of the third one. They decide to let humans live because they make an analytical choice that suggests this is the better route, because if we let Smith rage on in the Matrix, he'll destroy it, and then he'll cross over here and destroy it. So it was self-preservation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think they hate humans. I think they're just kind of following a natural progression of, of what their nature was. And so it's always been hard for me to see them as... Now, Agent Smith is a little different, because yeah. he's evolving on his own, and he's definitely got some sinister intentions and whatnot. But yeah. just the machines themselves... It's hard for me to fault them. Yeah. You know, it's just, bee stings you. You don't get mad at the bee. That's just what a bee's supposed to do. That's true. It's I, just get, in the bee's I get nature. mad at the bee. Though. I do too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm going to kill the fuck the out of The hero bee. that I don't identify with, and I'm going to cheat and do two really quick and just toss out the Blues Brothers because I think those guys are dicks. Yeah. <laughs> and I never understood why I was supposed to root for these yeah. assholes. Uh, but I'm going to go with V from V for Vendetta uh-huh. because he's really on a murder revenge plot, but he is couched it all in this free the people from an oppressive government. Uh And I really feel like one or the other is the way he should go. Like, he was abused and mistreated at this medical facility. They gave him the wonky drugs that, I guess, made him burn marked all over his butt. Whatever they did to Mm. him to make him super strong and unkillable or what have you. He's mad. I get that. Um, But he's also... I don't know. I mean, he makes it sound like he's noble because I want to bring down this government, this evil chancellor and what have you. But in the meantime, all along the way, I'm going to be sneaking off to murder people that pissed me off personally yeah. in my past. And it just it's always felt like a, I love this movie. But uh, I really it's, it's a weird dichotomy That's there of character motivations. Because, you don't you, you feel like the, the revenge is really the overriding thing uh, and, and not the liberation of yeah. the oppressive government. Yeah. Oh. I don't think he cares about releasing the people from the government as much as he does about his revenge because he's willing to die when he kills his last guy yeah 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 and let natalie portman carry out the thing um and so that's always struck me as weird this is the hero of the movie but he's gonna murder five people in cold blood yeah. out of b- basic revenge yeah uh, so I, I can't relate to that interesting i got two from the same movie mm. or the same series mm. um magneto has always appealed to me uh, and I guess more specific, it really could be either the Fassbender one or the Ian McKellen one, mm-hmm. because he's got such a great origin story. I mean, mm-hmm. great in the sense of he was terribly mistreated. Yeah. I mean, he, he was a, a Holocaust survivor. Um, in in the reboot, he was forced to watch his mother die. And it's just it's a it's a heartbreaking story. And this was done in the in the first one, at least by humans. 
And not only that, you have this kind of, you know, malevolence towards humans being as a, as a mutant. You also have the perfectly reasonable, and this is what Jeremy was saying about the machines, you are the next step in evolution. Mm-hmm. Um, you you got bragging rights. You got legitimate bra- bragging rights. I think that's sort of the point of <laughs> yeah. Magneto's character arc. Uh, I totally agree with you, by the way. Yeah. I, I think he's right. I don't think there's any way that humans are going to be like, I'm cool with with these mutants. There's no way. There's there there. You may get a large group of people like okay with it, um, but you 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 can't. The the bad people are enough to make this not worthwhile. Yeah. Not only are they uh, are mutants arguably superior to humans in in certain ways. Humans keep fucking with them. They keep mm-hmm. passing laws and they keep you know waging war and things like that. So, yeah, that kind of he's not a big baddie to me. Uh, His motivations, I can relate to it. Absolutely. Uh, The person that I the hero that I don't relate to is Charles Xavier. Yeah, (laughs) because for the exact opposite reason, I am all good with holding hands and singing Kumbaya. I'm a pet lover. I I don't want to make the analogy of mutants to (laughs) to humans to pets. (laughs) But, you know, it's it's just a different evolutionary step. I guess. And Charles is is just so enamored with the humans rather than he's segregating his population to a, a school. He's keeping them secret. He's keeping all of his warplanes and everything secret from humans. Uh, but, you know, this outward appearance that that he's he's getting along with them and that that they are separate but equal. But anyway, I don't necessarily identify with that. So yeah. that, those are my picks. Um, I agree. I'm I'm the same way about those movies. Yeah. Uh, I I think that Charles is way in over his head in those things, thinking that humans will be able to just be able to be cool yeah. with all this stuff. And his his mansion, it, while he's able to get as many as he can to come out to the mansion, it's basically like covering up something with a blanket, and then the other part of mm-hmm. the blanket comes off. There's like millions of other mutants. You're never going to be able to get them all. Yeah. You know, and they're going to be out there alone and they're going to be doing their stuff without any. It's really kind of amazing that the world doesn't blow up with all the mutants that are around. That, yeah, even ones, accidentally. Yeah. The ones that they show in those movies. Like it's like there's like when he goes into Cerebro and he sees yeah. like uh, thousands yeah. of them. I'm like, why hasn't the world ended yet? Yeah. Are they all keeping it secret? <laughs> Doubt it. <laughs> Okay, so uh, that's going to do it for this episode. Please keep going to SoundCloud and giving us your thoughts. Yeah, love hearing from you people, man. We hear uh, your your picks, um, what you agree with us and what you don't agree with us on. Keep it coming, man. We're uh, we're almost done with this first round, and we're going to keep progressing. We want to see uh, how much our picks line up with your picks. So send us your picks. Yeah, uh, and I, I mean, I think today at least at least two examples of something where there's going to be an uproar. Yeah, yeah. Where, you know, the Empire Strikes Back, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Gravity, Boogie Nights, all those getting all thrown around there. Yeah. That's uh, Those are some tough movies to to go up against each other. Yeah, you know, we've been slaying movies dead on these things. All That's you When way. Harry Met Sally fans are going to be very disappointed. Yeah, Except yeah. in me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hey, I mean, look at the real March Madness as of this recording. You yeah. have a seven seed in there. You have That's a right. three seed. There's two one seeds. But mm-hmm. there's a lot of, like, slaughtering going on there, too. Yeah uh anyway uh that'll do it for this week it's chris atkins and jeremy scott and barrett share we'll see you next time thanks for listening 
Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. forget how they got the connection it was probably Roz or somebody but they basically go to this mobster guy for help mm-hmm. and niles is it, like he's so in the mood of like doing something clandestine that he's talking really funny and so when he's explaining the situation with maris to the mobster he ends by saying needless to say the situation is hot 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 and you're the man to turn on the air conditioning <laughs> <laughs> so you like that better than seinfeld i do Mm-hmm. I think I was just enough of a nerd in school that I can identify with Niles and Frazier. Mm-hmm. I wasn't super good at sports. I had a whole phase where I was just not into them. I was in honors classes. Mm-hmm. I was picked on for being a nerd and being smart. Right. And so I think I associate with them and their struggle to fit in with society that's not, I don't know. It's funny. I... No, I've seen lots of Frasier episodes, but I can't just like immediately call up any of them. I I, I haven't watched it nearly enough to be like, oh, yeah, like that one episode right. where like there's I, I can remember moments. I couldn't tell you what the episode was, what about. Right. <clears throat> but I really do like Frasier. Um, and I, I, I semi file. I was, I, I, you know, I was I was into Cheers yeah. when it was on. So I semi followed Frasier when it first came on. Um, That's got to be one of the best combinations of original show and spinoff oh, qual- yeah. quality. Yeah, like definitely. ever. I, for Joey. I I would say <laughs> I would say if you're into Frasier, you should watch a few Cheers. Yeah, Cheers is a completely different show, but it just you know you can still you can see more Frasier there, and Frasier is like um, sort of his. Uh, I mean, it's obviously m- well more explored as insecurities in the in the actual show, but you get to see like those windows of his yeah. character in Cheers, and I love how they all sit at the same places in the bar and everything, and just you know they all have their. Uh, it's just Cheers was great. There's a great episode mm-hmm. of Frasier where Diane comes uh, to Seattle and puts on a play that she's written. And Frasier goes to see a rehearsal, and it's the set of Cheers. Oh, and yeah. all the characters are based on <laughs> Cheers people. And there's a there's a Frasier stand-in, because they dated on Cheers. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember no when that was. Because, you know what? Because yeah. I will say, because Cheers uh, debuted in, like, 83... I was I'm more identified with the Kirstie Alley seasons. Sure. Um, they did the thing with with Sam and Diane in Cheers, where it was like, will they or won't they? Then they did, and then it sort of fucked the show up. So they got her off the show, put Kirstie Alley, did the same thing with them. Yep. <laughs> so <laughs> somewhere along the line, we ditched Coach in, in favor of Woody. Yeah, Kirstie Alley was was i i really liked kirstie Allen yeah. back then like i mean like She's on star trek and yeah everything. i thought she was attractive i mean i was like i was like eight or nine years old but i was like oh, i like kirstie Allen. you know who i saw on an episode of the next generation the other day john tesh 
Oh, my God. You know what I love about oh. that show? Everyone guest starred on that show. <laughs> if you were to run down a list of guest stars, like Ashley fucking Judd was on that show. Are you serious? Yeah. She she and Wesley flirt with each other. Yeah. She's really? Like, she's yeah. got like a couple episodes. Yeah. Something like that. Ashley Judd. Yeah. Everybody was on that show at one point or another. But even John Tesh. Yeah. Who watches Entertainment Tonight anymore? Nobody. Kramer did because he got seizures. <laughs> From uh, Mary, that was a crazy thing too about Seinfeld. Is that they would I never considered Seinfeld like a pop culture reference show because they always did things. They they never really just came out and said this is a parody of or right. whatever. Um, yeah, but they did so many parodies. <laughs> yeah, they did so many. They uh, th- that. The whole O.J. Simpson thing, where yeah. they got the Johnny Cochran guy, they got. Um, there's the one where they they play the adagio for strings when Jerry Stiller's. Oh the, yeah, that he cooks the food. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. They, they do the platoon <laughs> thing. I, I I'm just I was like I didn't really notice it while the show was on how much did, how much it did that and then reruns I started watching those and I was like. I never really considered Seinfeld a pop culture reference thing, but it did it a lot. It did. I didn't realize they did the they snuck in a fucking Last of the Mohicans reference. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I will they, find you. Well, and of course, of course, JFK. That was yeah. that was the biggest one. That was amazing. They even uh, did the Godfather on the one with the bris, where Kramer takes over. Oh instead of Jerry. yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't ever go against the family, Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> Then they they even have the door closing yeah, they at the do. end. Yeah. And the music. Yeah. <laughs> wow, you've seen that movie way too many times. I have, and I I almost tweeted the other day. It's actually been a week since I've watched the march. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucked up. It came on later that night, so I'm glad I didn't tweet it. It's probably staying on HBO mainly because you keep watching it and tweeting yeah. about they it. They have some kind of data that says, well, this movie's really popular. This movie's rocking it, man. Every time this one Twitter account tweets out, there's 100,000 yeah, new people yeah, that tune suddenly. in. Suddenly. And we get 50 more subscriptions an hour or some shit. I should probably cut that out. Most definitely. I'm going to have to cut well, out like 60% of that shit. I think you should shit. cut all of that down into like a super cut of offensive sounding phrases. Yeah.